Hey, it's Clay. Welcome back to another episode and an episode that I'm very excited about as I am trying something new. I've always had the idea to just do more than simply me doing solo podcasts, but thanks to feedback from those of you that listen, you've kind of reaffirmed the idea of you know trying to bring somebody else in and just have a, a sit down discussion with them. So that's what this episode is going to be about. And it's kind of a mini series in the sense of, I guess we'll call it a mini series, who I surround myself with. As I've said in past episodes, you know, your belief system, your outlook on the world is dictated a lot by who are you surrounding yourself with? What sort of mentalities are you surrounding yourself with? What sort of philosophies on life, on money, on work ethic, on all that stuff. I mean, what what are you hearing? Are you constantly hearing victim card mentalities? Are you constantly hearing, you know, stories about wow that guy is grinding? I mean, what who are you surrounding yourself with? And I realize that's just me saying that. So I, I want to try to get more people um, on here that I would consider my in my friend group that I'm surrounding myself with. And today I'm bringing on a business owner. Uh, Paul DeWise is his name, and he introduces himself within the actual discussion. But yeah, I'm not going to call him like my best friend where we're hanging out every weekend. But is he a friend? Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, actually gone down to Florida together. Uh, we've been in a hot tub together. More on that in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, he is a friend, and these are the people that I seek to surround myself with. These are the people that kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron. When you have people like this, where you have the same mentalities, you know, that's going to just make you as an individual that much better. So I, I guess, like I said, we'll call this little mini series on, you know, my friend group, who I surround myself with. And um, our first example, that is going to be uh, Paul, who, like I said, is a business owner and I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but it's, uh, if you looked at the timestamp on this, it's definitely a longer show. It's totally just a long for, or the the you know the, the long I don't even know what it's called where you have the, the just a longer podcast where there's no time constraints we just talked and talked about whatever and uh, hopefully you find some entertainment in it a little bit of context before we go and start talking with Paul right at the get go I asked him about Facebook and that was just in um, reference to Facebook uh, the, the of, of course you know what Facebook is but on the day. Uh, that we recorded it. The previous day, Facebook released their earnings from a corporate perspective, and it was not very good. So a lot of people lost money on Facebook within the stock market itself. So that's why I brought up Facebook right out of the gates. And then as you'll see, that just sparks all sorts of tangents and rabbit holes that we go down. So I'm, I'm hoping you enjoy this. I want your feedback, so please definitely give me your feedback. But let's uh, sit down with, like I said, one of the people I surround myself with, Paul. Paul, welcome to... well. You're the first ever guest on this thing. I mean, so thank you very much for being here. What What am I on? This is the Money with Clay podcast. Pretty impressive, Perfect. huh? Yeah, yeah. I like no, that. No, no, that no. wasn't even planned. We, you helped me plug the podcast in the podcast itself. That's like, uh, what's that movie uh, with all Inception. the time? Inception. That was like Inception yep. stuff right there. Um, the world folded on itself, and a plug got laid. So, exactly. That's you know. that's what we're all about here. But uh, before I forget, I have to ask you. Uh, did you own any Facebook stock in any <laughs> accounts or anything? Uh, no, okay. no, I so didn't. So you're in a good mood then? I certainly am in a good mood. I also didn't own any Tesla. Um, I could, I could rant. Maybe that's a whole nother podcast. I would love to not tell you who I am and then love to tell you some Tesla stuff. Um, because yeah, that one, I got, I got, I got insider information on that one and it's like, makes your head spin. Are you? Can you go bullish or bearish inside information, or is that too far? Uh, I don't want anybody. I don't want the, the SEC the, knocking on my the, door, the, your the, door, after one podcast. No, it. Uh, the shorts aren't wrong. 
Okay. Uh, the shorts, the shorts are justified in their position. Let's put it that way. Okay. And um, that's kind of where I've been, I've been kind of buying the premise that Elon is like the Barnum and Bailey of our time. Like he's a great showman, but uh, I, I think the act is starting to wear thin in terms of the actual viability of all the, all this grandeur he's kind of pre- pre- providing to people, if you will. So let, let me let me just say this. I can say this without getting in any trouble. Um, just for a little bit of background for everybody. Um, so I uh, my name is Paul DeWise. Uh, I run uh, an engineering company called DeWise Engineering. And I also run a industrial 3D printing company, uh, Forerunner 3D Printing. Um, my background is actually, uh, I didn't go to school for mechanical engineering. I actually went to school for manufacturing engineering. Um, and the big difference there is a manufacturing engineer actually is the interface between the engineering department and the shop floor. We're the guys who actually get stuff made, get stuff built, get stuff shipped out the, out the door. And with that being my background, I'm sure you saw the, the tent in the parking lot of Tesla and what the end of June to hit their 5,000 cars in a week. Did you see that? To be honest, with all the smoke, with all the events he's always doing, I, I've kind of started to lose track of all the hoopla he puts on. So oh. I think maybe oh. I know what you're talking about, but I could be getting that confused with one of these other, um, you know, the semi well, thing still stands out when he had the for, semis up on stage. For the, benefit, and, for the benefit of you and anyone who's listening who doesn't know, um, I believe Elon had come out uh, earlier in 2018, and I think he made the statement, or maybe it was last year even, he made the statement of by this week in June or the oh, end yes, of June, yes. we will numbers, be making yep. 5,000 cars in one week. Okay. And then, you know, the end of June rolls around all of a sudden there's these tweets, congratulations, Tesla team, go team. We did it. 5,000 cars in one week, you know, and I saw that. And I, like I said, I've got a little bit of insider information about Tesla and their production and especially their automation. And I'm sitting there going that seems crazy to go from like 500 to a thousand to jump to 5,000. Like that just doesn't happen. So I kind of looked into it a little bit and there's all these, uh, local like, uh, TV stations out in, in, uh, um, California. I forget where their plant is at somewhere, somewhere out there. It's the old Toyota GM joint venture. Anyways, their, their plant. And there's all these pictures and all this video of a giant, tent set up in the the tesla parking lot and it's like tesla goes for broke to you know show everyone we can do five thousand cars in a week it's all like local media it's not cnn it's not fox it's like the local channels right so i'm like what the heck is this so i start doing a little bit of research turns out the way they got to five thousand cars in one week is they literally set up a tent in the parking lot a giant tent in the parking lot they pulled people off of like the roadster they pulled people off of the uh x they pulled people off of uh, of all their other programs and sent them out to the parking lot and they had a assembly line a manual assembly line put together under this tent and they're putting together cars under this freaking tent i mean this is real I'm life. There. This is really happening. This is this is really happening. They really did this. They really did this. So, they put together ten. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. So sure, they hit the number, but they sacrificed everything else. So Dude, they didn't no, hit the no, number. Not then only, in all actuality, not, only, not not only did they not hit the number, in my opinion, they faked the number. Like they completely bullcrap the number. 
like I wish I could use other words to describe <laughs> what, what how surprising this was. But like literally, it's 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 in the auto, in the world of automotive. I mean, I'm a, I'm in Western Michigan. You know, my customers are the big three. You know, and and beyond. Um, like it's it's laughable. Like the fact that like that's what you're doing to try and hit your numbers because. You know, like I and I like Tesla. I'm a fan of Tesla. I'm a huge fan of Elon Musk. I have a lot of respect for that guy. I, I see what he's doing with SpaceX. I see what he's doing with Tesla. I respect the hell out of it. But like that dude has got to get off Twitter and he's got to shut his mouth and he's got to put his head down and he's just got to freaking work. Because the problem is he goes out there and he gets on these conference calls and he runs his mouth about Honestly, in my opinion, stuff he doesn't really understand. He's a very smart guy. I'm sure he has read every book and talked to every expert that he can about automating automating assembly lines and things like that. But at the end of the day, you can't design, build, and operate an automotive assembly line like you would a piece of software, like or even even a rocket company. It's just they're not the same thing. And so, anyway, so so the bigger point is, you know, I'm looking at this tent and I'm like. Dude, the quality issues, the, the quality issues that are going to... There's an old saying in the automotive industry, never buy a car that was assembled on a Friday afternoon. Now, that that's kind of an old joke at the at this point. But like back in like the 50s and 60s and 70s, like there would be swings in quality based off what time of day the line, the guys on the line actually put the car together. Well, they took that to a whole nother level of like, you know, you don't want the car that was like pushed out in the last week of June under a circus tent in a parking <laughs> lot in California um, with with people that don't even normally work on it. If they're yeah, pulling it from with, other with lines. Like, with like, yeah, like 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 engineers coming out of like the engineering department. Like, here you go, dude. Here's a wrench. Put this thing together. Is like, you know, as like a guy who like interfaces with engineers quite a bit, like, you know, they're pretty awesome at engineering, but like there's a, and there's a fair amount of them that were very hands on, but there's a huge amount of them that you would never want to have working on anything they actually designed. Yeah, that is pretty um, crazy. But let me ask you this, but, though, because I'm, yeah. I'm trying, let's, do you, does your business benefit from Tesla at all? Like, are they a customer or anything? Not directly, but I mean, you know, it's all about trickle down. You know, we're we're a small company. Um, you know, there are, let's see, there are six of us uh, full time in the engineering group, myself included in that number. Um, and then there are two full time in the 3D printing company. Um, and, you know, we stay very diversified in our engineering group, but probably approaching probably 40 to 50% of what we do is automated equipment. So I design and uh, design modules uh, that go into like large assembly systems for exactly what you think it would be for putting together cars, putting together appliances, putting together office furniture. Um, let me, let me, so, let me, I mean, let me ask it this way. If Tesla, let's just say goes out of business, that would affect you. You would lose out on some of the trickle down. Is that correct? So what, it, so I don't have any work that has, I, I really don't have any work directly involved with Tesla. Um, but what it would do is there's a lot of my customers who do have big Tesla programs. Um, so whether it's uh, tooling like injection molds or stamping dies, or whether it's full on assembly lines or fixtures. Um, and so if Tesla completely evaporated, um, even though we're not directly involved in any of those programs, there's a, 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 a carry on effect, if you will, where now all of a sudden my customers are, you know, hey, they just might have they might be stuck with a bill for a million dollars, a couple million dollars worth of tooling. Even my smaller customers, they might be stuck with a hundred grand on a piece of automated equipment, you know? So it's like, it, it, it's not good. Like I'm not cheering for them to go out of business. And that, and I, that was, and, and, here, and that was my point is 
because uh, I, I was curious, are you bashing them because you're, you know, you're all for the big three, we're in Michigan, rah, rah, you know, so screw Tesla. But it sounds like it wouldn't benefit you at all for them to fail. So none of this is coming so, from the perspective or, you know, you're not biased just because, none. I mean, you're being I mean, fair Tesla's, in all this. I, I really, I believe me, I like Elon, I like Tesla, but I just, what I don't like is the attitude at, with, with which Tesla operates. Like I said, I, I'm, I can't get into any more details specifically, but Tesla has a reputation around here of being unbelievably difficult to work with um and definitely um you know making it challenging for suppliers to do their job now i think i think there's a certain segment of suppliers that need a swift kick in the ass because you know they are used to doing things like it's 1982 and and they really don't want to change but there's also something to be said for you know taking and saying that, that to come into automotive suppliers and say, hey, you've been doing this for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, but you know what? We're not interested in any of your feedback. You're just going to do it this way and you're going to do it the, you know, uh, in this time frame, and that's what it's going to be. You know, there's just a certain level of arrogance that that's like not really appreciated in the supplier base of just like, you know, we, I mean, believe me, Ford and GM and Chrysler, there are tyrants at those companies too. I've sat on more than enough conference calls listening to my customers and me get screamed at by, uh, you know, those big three guys. I mean, they're they're not always a, a picnic to work with either, but there's a more realistic understanding with those guys of what it takes to do some of this stuff than necessarily what I've heard there is with Tesla. Um, you know, and so it's, it's just like, I wish that there was maybe a little bit more give and take with their supplier base. I wish maybe they were a little bit more like, you know, willing to, to work with us and, you know, you know, we're not, yeah, you, you can push the envelope all day. I'm all for that. But like, you gotta be realistic sometimes about what's possible. And I just think, you know, there, there, there was, you know, some talk back when Tesla was really first kind of coming onto the scene and they bought that uh, Fremont, California, I think. I'm pretty sure that's where the plant was. You know, there's a lot of talk of like, hey, we're buying this old GM Toyota Fremont assembly facility and, you know, we're not interested in anyone who's ever, you know, worked for the big three. Like we're hiring people from, you know, anywhere else pretty much we can find them. And it's just kind of like, you know, I think they're paying the price for that a little bit right now as they're trying to scale up of like, you know, sometimes you need to, you know, look back and talk to guys who've done it before and, you know, push the, push the, push the edge, push the boundary, you know, put robots in front of everything that you can, but like, you gotta, you can't just these moonshots, you know, it's like such a Silicon Valley thing of just like, we're doing a moonshot. We're, we're going to do what no one else has ever done. And we're going to get through it by force of will alone. And it's like, I feel like the software and hardware are two very different things. And even if you broaden your perspective a little bit, like with what Kickstarter and Indiegogo have really shown, you know, back in the day, there's all these Kickstarters and all these Indiegogos that wound up just flaming out. Did, did you ever see the coolest cooler? And I think it was Kickstarter. Did you ever familiar with no, that? No, I'm not. So this this guy, or maybe it was Indiegogo, he raised like twenty three or twenty four million dollars on one of those crowdfunding platforms to go and make this cooler, and it you know it was on wheels, and it and it's like a full size cooler. It's like a not a not a like a big yeti like salmon right. fishing chest, but like a like a cooler that you could 
put a family's worth of food and drinks in and go to the beach. And so, you know, it's going to have a Bluetooth speaker and it's got a blender built into the top of it and it'll charge your iPhone and it's got a, you know, a beer opener with a little magnetic bottle collector on it, bottle cap collector on it and raised all this money. And, you know, he was a product development guy. So like, I'm sure he'd done product development before, but then he goes over to China and, I mean, gets into like mess after mess. I mean, they like their blender motor manufacturers, only like one company in China that made it and they went on like strike, which I've never even heard of happening in China before, <laughs> but like they couldn't get motors for whatever reason and they couldn't find a backup supplier who could do it. And they wound up going out and raising like more capital from like venture, venture, uh, 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 venture guys and angel investors. And I, I guess when I last read a story about them, which I want to say was maybe two or three years ago. So, I mean, I, I'm working with some old information here, but like they, they didn't even deliver to like they had put they were so strapped for cash that instead of delivering to their backers who still hadn't been fulfilled, they took that inventory and put it on Amazon and were selling it direct on Amazon to try and raise funds to keep the business alive so they could like make the coolers that they still owed people. It was like the equivalent of like a industrial Ponzi, Ponzi scheme. scheme right. That's sorts. as you were. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, but like, you know, these, I, I, you know, these guys, they just, there's so many people who come into the manufacturing world from places like Silicon Valley and, and, you know, Seattle, I think is where these guys were based out of. And it's like, you know, you come from software background or you come from like a tech business background and like, you're just You're going to get eaten alive in manufacturing if you don't, get some people on your team who can really help you. And I mean, and you can see there's a lot of businesses that have popped up around like, Oh, Hey, like, like fictive is one that I'm, I've met the founders and, and talked to the the people at they're out in, uh, in, in San Francisco and they just launched, they, they were like a 3d printing hub of sorts slash machine CNC machining. And they just launched an office in Shenzhen and they're literally saying like, come to us. We've got people on the ground in Shenzhen, China. We've got uh, American prototype shops. Like we will hold your hand and we will walk you through the entire development and launch of your product. And we will put you with reputable people that you're going to get product from. We're going to give you realistic timelines, realistic uh, costs and BO and things like that so you know it's just a different world and i feel like there's there like to circle this all the way back to tesla because i'm really rambling now but to circle this all the way back like you know you you gotta come at manufacturing with a little bit of humility and i think you know elon had had some good success with with spacex especially lately you know in the last five years they've really dialed that business in but i'm just you know he came at, at automotive and i don't think he paid it the respect that it maybe deserved and there you go. I'll stop rambling. No, I, I fully agree. But I would, I mean, from just, and that's, and I, I love to have this conversation. Like you can have the greatest idea ever, but it's like, okay, awesome. You have a great idea. Okay. Well, you have a great idea, but how do you make money? Well, you have to get it to people. Yeah. How do you get it to people? Well, you have to mass produce it. Uh Oh, and that's, you know, the other, <laughs> but with like the, the, with the rocket thing, he, that's been, I, I would argue, a lot more successful because you don't have to mass produce rockets. It's oh, like focus on one, it, focus on a few. Okay, there you go. Now, but and, it's and, not like you got, and, uh, you know, um, analysts from Wall Street. What's the rocket count? What's the rocket count? No, it doesn't matter. Like you got to build like three rockets, it's, not 5,000 cars under a 10 a week. I mean, it's just a totally different apples and oranges, it seems like, from a manufacturing perspective. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, and, and like I said, I have... 
a ton of respect for SpaceX. I'm a huge SpaceX fan. I mean, when they launched the Falcon Heavy, I stopped everything at our offices, got everyone in the conference room and said, sit down. We're about to witness something historical, whether it blows up on the pad or it puts a car into outer space one way or the other. This is an important moment. You guys, this is a, this is serious business, you know, and you know, and, and the one cool thing is I, what I can say is we worked very, very closely with one of our customers on a SpaceX component. So we actually have a piece on that. I can't say any more than that, but I can awesome. say it was it was very exciting to see that thing go. And then it was extremely exciting to see those two boosters land. And, uh, and probably even more exciting to see that hard work not blow up. So that was probably it the, was. Yeah. Although, although I'll be honest, had it blown up, it would have been like, I feel bad for SpaceX and Elon, but man, that was a hell of a boom, you know, <laughs> yeah, like true. that they're, 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 because you know, they're going to get it. I mean, you look at their, you look at their, you know, they have a fantastic YouTube video of like how not to land a rocket. And it's like, oh my God, it's just explosion after explosion after explosion. I mean, they blew up so many boosters trying to land those things. And then to finally not only land one, but to land two on two pads next to each other. It's a huge accomplishment. But I, I'm completely in agreement with you. He's mass-producing rockets. He really is. But mass-producing rockets is like 10 rockets a year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then he can reuse them. I mean, that's the beautiful part. I mean, he's, he's cutting down the cost to get pounds into space through reusability. I mean, they're talking that they could potentially get those Falcon heavies, those boosters to maybe do 50 to a hundred trips before they're stress fractured and they got to, they got to recycle them. And even then they can pull parts off of them and reuse some of those components. So, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing business. And I just wish, you know, I wish Elon would get off Twitter, I think is what, you know, him beefing with the CEO of Ford is just not a good look. Right. You know, yeah, it's, um, it's 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 unbecoming, in my opinion. You know, I'm all for a good time. And believe me, I, I that's one of the reasons I like Elon, because I don't I don't think he I think he knows how to have fun with stuff. But, you know, you got to you got to show a little humility when you're getting your ass handed to you on something like. This. Yeah, exactly. There's a fine line. And uh, he I, I would agree. Sometimes he's doing a good job of walking at other times. It's like, all right, dude, you need to, you need to calm down a little bit, calm down a little bit. But I have to ask you. Yeah. About about this though, uh, and I, mm -hmm. it, we'll, we'll cut this out if I'm not allowed to ask you, or if the yep. the current um, tenant in your building should have kept his mouth <laughs> shut. But I hear you had a little bit of drama yesterday with banks and equipment and stuff like that. Are you are you willing to enlighten uh, me more yeah. on that story? Or like I said, I don't yeah, I don't know if that's I too can, much. But I can no 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 we can we can talk about that. Um, oh man, yeah. Because I do no, have a couple the, of questions the, that I was asking Nate about, and he, he's like, well, I, "I don't know, I don't know." So I was like, "All right, well, I'll probably." I was planning on opening this up with this whole conversation, but the Tesla stuff was great, and that's my theory is coming true. If you just have no agenda for one of these talks, you can go down some pretty fun rabbit holes. So, but with that I rabbit mean, hole complete, I want to go down kind of the the real life reality TV yes. show that it sounded like it was yesterday and building yes. a business. You know, so I guess I'll yeah. let you pick it up from there. So a, a little bit more background. So like I said, I've got a I've got an engineering company. I have a 3D printing company. And to make a, a very uh, long, boring story a little bit uh, more condensed, um, I started DeWise Engineering uh, my senior year of, uh, of college. Um, and uh, essentially, I was one guy in a laptop in my college apartment uh, with really no idea what I was doing. But I knew I'd wanted to start a company since I was a, a kid. 
Um, and then, you know, I, I saw an opportunity to start doing work from school for my summer uh, uh, employer essentially. And so I bought a seat of CAD software called Katia V5 and I, uh, I got started and, um, that school year I managed to make enough money to pay off my student loan that I'd taken out to buy the seat of software, which was about 20 grand. Um, but, and then I graduated from school and it was the teeth of, well, it wasn't the teeth. It was, it was May of 2010, which, um, 09, uh, was the, really the teeth of the, the big recession for manufacturing. It was brutal. I mean, there were guys graduating a year ahead of me from the program that were just going back to throw hay bales on their grandpa's farm or going back to work at the Arby's that they'd, you know, worked at summers when they were in high school. Um, so I graduated in May of 2010, a little bit better, um, but still not awesome. But I managed to really ride the wave of the American economy, especially the manufacturing economy in Michigan, really coming back to life. And uh, rode that wave from uh, May of 2010 up until uh, actually May of 2016. And over those six years, um, you know, I built up a, a nice little little business, you know, uh, doing engineering work for a, a you know, aerospace companies, uh, the automotive guys, a lot of automated equipment, heavy, excuse me, heavy agriculture and mining. Um, and then even some, uh, you know, new product development and then just a lot of like piece parts work, you know, injection molded plastic, sheet metal design, weldment design. Um, pretty much if I, I always like to say if the money is green and spendable, I'm interested in quoting the job. So we did a lot of very shitty work for a long time, but it paid the bill. May of 2000. Yeah, hey, you know what? <laughs> when when uh, when when the rubber meets the road and that magically refilling refrigerator and your your childhood race car bed are no longer an option, it's amazing how hard you'll work when your back is against the wall. Um, and so I, uh, oh. yeah, you know, by May, go ahead. I was gonna say just kind of because you've probably not. You, the thing with the money with Clay, I like to rant about college and college choices and stuff like that. So. Did you always know you wanted to be an engineer or what led you down to pursue the, the degree that you got? And sure, the people well, before you, like you said, they didn't necessarily have jobs, but that was kind of like an outlier in terms of you know just job situations. But most times, if you're going to engineering, you're going to be getting a job somewhere. So I mean, how, yeah. how did you and arrive I mean, it, at the, I want to become an engineer type degree, as opposed to, I want to study you know the philosophy and the theory of you know Dutch tulips, for example. You know, wh where, where did you come from this? Because a lot of, hopefully some young kids listen to this. What was your thought process and procedure to actually land yourself a degree of value? Yeah, yeah. So, good question. Um, you know, I was one of those really weird kids where, um, you know, I, I come from an entrepreneurial family, you know, uh, dad and uncles and grandpa, you know, they all were in business for themselves doing various things. Um, and you know, I, I looked at them and, you know, when I was, when I was very young, my first dream was I wanted to, to operate a tower crane. That was it. I wanted to be a tower crane operator. And then we went to, uh, well, back then it was the Sears Tower in Chicago. And I walked out on that little glass nub off the side where you can look straight down. <laughs> and I had an epiphany. Yeah. And that epiphany was I was no longer interested in being a tower crane <laughs> operator. <laughs> was that before or after you changed your underwear? Oh man, yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was, it was rough. So after that, I kind of said, well, Paul, you better go back to the drawing board because you know what? Some, you're just not, you're just not cut out for the heights thing. Um, 
So anyways, then after that, I kind of was like, well, what does grandpa do? And what does dad do? And what does, you know, my uncles do? And, you know, and I kind of realized like, oh, like there's this thing where like you can, you can work for yourself. You can, you can kind of be your own boss. And I, I always like, oh, that, that seems pretty cool. I'd, I'd kind of like to do that. So really from a very young age, I wanted to do that. I just had no idea how to go about doing it. Like absolutely no idea, which is hilarious. Cause you'd think like, well, you got all these people around you, they're doing it. Well, yeah, but you know, they're not doing what I wanted to do. And, and I knew I wanted to be in manufacturing and I knew that I wanted to, you know, design things. And, you know, like back when I was a kid, I, I was way, way, way into paintball when I was younger. So I was always like, I got a Dremel when I think I was like 12 or 13. And the first thing I did was just start modifying my paintball guns and building, a, you know, my own parts. And it just had a great time. And, and so I kind of was like, well, I think engineering would allow me to do this day in and day out, you know, be creative, work with CAD software and things like that. But the problem I had and and continue to have to this day is, you know, uh, I have zero math skills, like beyond zero math skills. Like, really, I, mean, I would I, not have. I, I would not have. How did you get through school then with zero math skills? Well, so I'm going to tell you <laughs> how I got good, through school I'm with zero math skills. <laughs> um, you know, and and it, and it's really funny because my younger brother, uh, he's 18 months younger than me, and he, uh, you know, he's he's a genius in my opinion. He's one of the the most gifted uh, students I've ever met, and you know, uh, math math for days. <laughs> and I have he got all the math, and I got none of the math. Essentially, is what happened. Thanks, mom. Yeah. So. Anyways, uh, so no, I, I, you know, I struggled mightily with math all the way through, uh, you know, especially you know, elementary school, high school. I was always just taking like the minimum requirement. You know, I wasn't in calc. I was barely passing my math classes and it wasn't for lack of effort. I, I, I don't like to brag, but I will say it wasn't for lack of effort that I didn't pass or wasn't passing or doing well. I was passing. I just wasn't doing well. It just, it did. It never came to me. I never, I never could get it through my head. And so... I said, okay, well, I'm not getting into anywhere for mechanical engineering. And even if by some miracle I managed to fool my way in there, because I took, I mean, I took the ACT three times, which I mean, it's not, it, I don't even think the ACT is around anymore. Now it's the um, SA, is it SAT or I don't know. I, I, I do is. know at one point they started to rescore the ACT. So like the whole scoring system was different probably than when we took it. But yeah, I, I honestly don't so even I know was, if that's I got, My first ACT score was an 18 out of 36. And <laughs> I got, after my re, first after take, was a 21. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we're in, we're yeah. in good, we're in good yeah, company. Exactly. Yep. So I took, I took, a, I mean, I took prep classes because I <laughs> same, needed a 24. Same. I needed a 24 to get to where I need to be, which was Ferris State University in Big Rapids, Michigan. Because uh, when I was in high school, I found out about uh, CNC machining and um, I and CAD, man. Once I got into that CAD lab, uh, which CAD is computer-aided design, it's a 3D modeling software. And uh, when I took my first class at high school, with it was board drawing. Um, you know, we're drawing with pencils and paper and rulers. And uh, and I, I just would look at the kids a year ahead of me and I would look over and they were in AutoCAD. And I was like, oh, my God, AutoCAD. This is amazing. And I was I, I, I and I was good at it. You know, it was like the first time I was ever really good at anything in school, like to be completely honest with you. And so, like, I latched onto it. And then I found out, like, 
oh man, you can draw something up in AutoCAD Inventor, which is 3D, and then you can like bring it over to the CNC machine. You can program it. And, you know, this is in the days before, um, you know, MakerBots and things like that. So, you know, if you wanted to make something, you had to program it on a CNC machine. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, we got this little mini mill over in the corner that no one knows how to run. And, you know, we've got some crappy cat you know cam software for programming and i just dove into it and i just you know taught myself everything i could i mean i crashed that machine so many times um i'm amazed it still ran when i was done with it but it lit a fire in me for for like the manufacturing side of engineering so you know towards my sophomore year i still had this entrepreneurial fire in me but i didn't know where how to channel it so then you know i moved into uh uh, you know, looking for colleges. And I happened upon Ferris State University and they had an associate's program called Manufacturing Tooling Technology. And it was pretty much CNC college. You would go there and you would spend two years and they would teach you, start you on manual lathes and mills and take you all the way up into like programming uh, advanced CNC equipment and making like injection molds and, and stamping dies. And the math requ- requirements were pretty low, which was perfect for me. But then I found out that they also had a program for manufacturing engineering technology. And, uh, and I thought, so I can get a bachelor's in, you know, manufacturing engineering and their math, their top math requirement was Calc one. I was like, okay, like, I think I can figure out how to like make it through Calc one. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so that was kind of the path that put me on to, Ferris and put me on to engineering. Is that a one year um, or a two or four year degree? Four year. Okay. Yep. Come out with a bachelor's. Yep. Okay. So graduate and then all through high school, um, I worked uh, in factories. You did what? Just say that word again. <laughs> I worked. Oh my! I worked and just just to fill everybody in, you know, uh, I'm I'm six foot five and you know, well now I'm several hundred pounds but back then i was i was a healthy 300 and every year the the principal slash football coach would come to me and go mr dewise you going out for football this year and i'd look at him and i'd go well mr Meerman, as soon as you can pay me five dollars an hour which is what my janitor job pays me i'll be happy to play football for you but until then i got a paintball hobby that i gotta feed and you know paintballs aren't cheap and neither is you know uh, the toys that go with it so you know i'm sorry but i'm not interested in football i love the negotiating so, right there trying to get the first probably ever <laughs> paid for high school at five, i know you only wanted five bucks an hour I, that sounds halfway decent uh, a steal yeah a steal for for a lineman who's who can just mow through children i mean <laughs> you know if you would have incentivized me with money i'd be in the nfl right <laughs> yeah, now i mean um oh that's good i that's interesting i did not know that that's uh that, that's good stuff but i i like how you we're like, well, I need to pay for this paintball hobby and I need to get money for it yeah. rather than put it on a credit card. So that was well, yeah, well, well done to you it, for exactly. realizing that. Well, you know, my I, and I credit my parents for that. You know, um, I was extraordinarily lucky in that I got blessed with some really, really good parents. And uh, and and at the time it was like, what do you mean you won't just buy this for me? Come on. All my other friends, just they just parents just buy them paintballs. What do you mean I have to work for it? And, uh, you know, at the time it seemed relatively unfair, but looking back on it, I'm glad they did it that way. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, I, I leave high school and, uh, you know, I've worked at all these shops and I, I still kind of got the entrepreneurial thing doing, you know, I tried to start, tried to start like a paintball business when I was in high school and, um, just 
lost all the money I put into it. It was a like kind of like a they call them airsmith, so essentially like a gunsmith, but for paintball. And I thought I I thought I had the chops, and boy, I really didn't have the chops, and I wound up screwing up some people's parts. And you know, it was just it was a great learning experience. <laughs> let's put it that way. It's a very cheap, very cheap life lessons. Um, and so went up to Ferris, and uh, you know. I'm, I'm in this program, you know, I meet some some amazing uh, friends up there um, and then, uh, you know, start, you know, working kind of bigger, more important jobs in the summer, you know, working at tool and die shops, aerospace shops. Um, and, you know, and that was all me pretty much just going to my professors and just saying like, hey, who's looking for help? Who's looking for kids to come and, you know, stand in front of a CNC machine? Who's looking for kids to, you know, go sit in a quality lab and they'd be like, oh, there's all these companies looking for help, you know? And I mean, that's something I can't say enough to any young person that's listening to this is you got, if you're going to college and you're going to college for something that you can actually use, um, don't go home and work at a restaurant in the summers. Don't go home and mow lawns. Go to your professors and say, where can I go where I can at least be in a building with people who do this for a living? Even if I'm like pushing the mail cart or sweeping the floor because it's invaluable experience. You can't, you can't put a price on that because at the end of the day, that college diploma shows me a couple of things as an employer. It shows me that you had the ability to go someplace and survive four years, probably on your own. You had the ability to show up to class probably every day. You had the ability to apply yourself in study and, you know, you didn't manage to screw your life up in the process. So you're standing here in front of me. But other than that, that piece of paper doesn't really mean a lot to me as an employer. Let me, because, let me ask you this, because this is something that I always, I, I try to propose. So I'm going to give as an employer, mm-hmm. And for listeners, like remember, Paul is a business owner. He has hired people. So you have candidate A, great GPA, and then you look at what they're involved in and basically nothing. They no part-time jobs, just basically nothing. It's a great GPA mm-hmm. and that's it. Versus mm-hmm. candidate B, who's got, you know, a lesser, let's call it an average, an average, not even like a great or good, just like an average GPA but they're working yeah. like three jobs during the summer. They're, let's just say they're involved in a bunch of stuff. You know, they've done internships, like you said. As an employer, which which one would you give the upper hand to out B. of the gates? B, A doesn't even get a callback, okay? A doesn't even get a callback. I mean, it's it's B every, da- every time, all the time. Um, it, it just experience counts for so much more than education, in my opinion, because, well, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit, but why I think that, but... Yeah, it's just there's you can't even hold a candle to it. GPA doesn't mean anything because I know I put it this way: I graduated from with some guys 4.0s, and th- th- you know what? I, I, literally, there's a guy I graduated with. It's it's kind of a crazy story, but he graduated. He did like a three. He had like a three eight. Okay, he killed it on the books. Uh, but he was worthless in the shop. But he he could just he could just kind of sneak his way through it. He went home that summer after we graduated. He was a, I'm not even kidding you. He was a greeter at Walmart for three years, for three years, because no one would hire him. He was, he had such terrible interpersonal communication skills. He was such a, just, he had nothing going for him other than that, that, that number on a paper. That was literally it. So the number doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. It just means that, well, you just showed up and worked a little bit harder than the guy who got average. But look at all the other stuff the average guy is doing to further his abilities, his knowledge, and his career. 
Um, so B wins every time. All right. Yeah, that, and that's none of this is scripted. So that's what I was really hoping you would you would vote for. But uh, that's kind of why you look and you're like, let me ask you this: Do you care what's at the top of their or at their uh, top of their resume? You know, school A versus school B. What are you What are you most interested in as an employer? Because a lot of people out there, I I feel like not even feel like there's this kind of idea like. Well, you know, if I go to Harvard for this or if I go to, you know, school X and pay an absorbent amount of Y, I'm going to get more job offers just because I have a degree from that area. Or as, as an employer, you still and, focus and you know at what? all those other bullet And you know points. what? If you want to move to New York and be an investment banker, you're absolutely right. That shit matters. But guess what? I live in the Midwest. I could give a flying F about Harvard or MIT. You know, it, what it shows me is it shows me again, you're smart. You're definitely smart. You're no idiot, but I, it shows me a level of dedication. Obviously, anyone who gets into Harvard or MIT or Stanford or, or any of the big engineering schools, there's a level of dedication that it took to get in there for the for most likely. But if you haven't done anything, I mean, even those guys, if they came into me and I was to put them up against a kid from Grand Valley State University, Ferris State University, Michigan State University, or you know, even like you know, Michigan Tech or Kettering. Um, which are both big high-end technical schools in the state of Michigan. Um, you know, I, I mean, if those guys are like, yeah, I worked at, you know, uh, uh, you know, precision aerospace for, you know, two summers in their QA department. And, you know, and then I built, uh, this, this dumb little, you know, automated machine for my capstone project. And the guy at MIT is like, well, you know, I got a 4.0 from MIT and I was on the, you know, the autonomous vehicle club. I'm going to look at the autonomous vehicle guy and go, well, that's great, but I, we don't build autonomous cars. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure Google or, or, way, or you know, Google or, or, or Uber would love to talk to you, but like, you know, you don't have any experience, you know, I'm going to take the guy with experience every time over the fancy degree. The fancy degree doesn't, uh, uh, the fancy degree doesn't really do a lot for me because my customers, when I send this guy to my customers, if he walks in and goes, well, I got a degree from MIT, they're going to go, yeah, that's great. You know, shut the F up and here's what we're going to do. I, you know, I need someone, I need someone who can, who can work with a shop floor person. I need someone who can work with an engineer with no education. I mean, there are so many engineers that I work with, the smartest guys I know, the most amazing machine designers I know. They have a high school education and they've been doing it for 25 or 30 years and they know everything. They can run circles around anyone coming into the trade and, and they have no edu no a formal higher education beyond high school. So it just it just doesn't the fancy degree in my business in engineering and 3D printing at my level as a service provider. You know, I'm not in a lab at a nat, you know, a, a national lab like, you know, Sandia or or Brookhaven, you know. Yeah, there go get your PhD, go talk to those boys. They're going to love to talk with you. But in the real world where those guys come to get their work done and to get their parts made in this place called the real world, that shit doesn't matter at all. Yeah, and you know, either even if it does matter for some of those high-end places, from an incremental standpoint, if if you're paying thirty thousand dollars more to maybe make, let's just call it twenty percent more per year, that doesn't it doesn't even matter. It's it's just all a wash anyway. So to me, and it yeah. sounds like you agree, you go to any place, get a degree for as cost efficient as possible. You yeah. work jobs, yeah. and that was a great bit of advice. I've um, you know, ideally work jobs, even if you're pushing, even if you're scrubbing toilets at, you know, some sort yeah. of building that in a, factory. in a factory or whatever <laughs> you're trying to do, 
because because here's what's going to happen you're going to you're going to scrub those toilets you're going to do a good job and someone's going to come along and go hey you mind running a brake press for a little while or hey you mind tending this robot cell for a minute while this dude takes a lunch you won't be scrubbing toilets for long yeah exactly so i mean it's uh moral of the story sounds like we're in agreement the thing at the top oh, of that uh, resume it holds some weight, but not nearly enough weight as a lot, as, as something that we all have access to. Hard work, asking a professor, I skip, you know, just stuff like that. I skip right to experience. I skip right to experience. I that's the first thing I flip to when I look at a resume. I skip. I skip to experience. Okay, and then and that's like job related experience. Then I back up to okay, what's your actual skill sets that you're telling me you have. And then I'm going to look at your GPA. And that's the thing. People like put their GPA on their resume. Like, I get it. You worked hard for that number. But I kind of laughed to myself a little bit. It's just like, what are you doing, man? Like, I don't care about that. You know, if anything, you should like highlight the places you've worked, you know, highlight the and even and it's not even necessarily places you work. You know, I kind of took a crap on, you know, the autonomous vehicle club at MIT there a second ago. But like even stuff like that, you know, Electrathon, you know, Formula SAE, uh, Formula or SAE off road, you know, all those clubs in college where you can, you know, build vehicles and do things like that. Even that goes above what you actually did in the classroom, because at least I know you're like sitting in a garage with like 10 other kids at your university with like a limited budget and no idea what you're doing. And like you're, you're at least trying, you know, that that counts for a lot in my book. No, ab- absolutely. And I mean, so I guess what I'm trying to how do I phrase this? A lot of um, we'll call them victim card players. Well, everybody demands experience and you can't get a job unless you have experience. But correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like experience uh, that you're looking at is just experience while people are in college. Or, or are you when you say experience, are you actually looking for you've worked for other shops before or I guess what is that experience I, I, you you're know looking what? for? If you if you are gonna come to me and you're gonna say, Well, you know, man, I was in college and everywhere I applied said I needed experience, well guess what? You gotta look for a shittier job then. You gotta start lower on the totem pole. You know what? Yeah, if when I hire machine designers yeah, I'm looking for five years experience. The kid coming right out of school doesn't have five years experience. But you know what? There's a, I can name three shops right now that would love to hire a kid right out of school to detail blueprints. It's a terrible job. You're not going to enjoy it. But guess what? You get a year of detailing under your belt and someone's going to say, hey, man, you want to help me design this fixture? or Hey, man, you want to help me design this little tabletop piece of equipment? Or, hey, this mold or, hey, this die? That, that, that's, that's where you got to start. There's a, such a level of entitlement. And this is like me getting really up on my soapbox. Hey, this whole podcast is about soapboxes. So by all okay. means, let it well, rain, especially then, when it comes to entitlement I'm, attitudes. Oh my God. I, uh, I have so many things I could say. I have to choose my words carefully, but, um, so I, I so I'm, you know, I'm 30 years old. I was born in 1988. So I am technically millennial. a millennial. Yeah, there we go. Um, and so, uh, and, and I employ, uh, all millennials, uh, believe it or not, we are an extremely young company. Uh, you know, the oldest person working here is, is, 32 so she might just be outside the bracket but i don't think by much if at all and then it, and it goes from there to 18 that's the actually actually the youngest person i employ is our intern and he's 16 okay so i go from 32 to 16 i have in a wonderful group of people that work here i'm not talking about them in case they're listening well to i this. think it also but, goes to show and this is kind of a pet peeve when all millennials suck 
Well, you can't say that because I know you, Paul. I know people no. in your company. So I so what I get what you're saying is you're not classifying millennials as some sort of blanket statement because I mean there's always bad apples every every generation. You'd agree with that? Uh, I I would absolutely agree. I mean, you got you know the baby boomers, the Gen Xers. Everyone can point to like people in their group. Now, I will say, I think there's a larger cohort in the millennials that are just useless um, and 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 entitled. That's the biggest thing is entitlement. The people that I talk to who are just like, I've been working for three years, and you know, I'm not. I'm 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 literally only getting a week and a half of vacation. You know, my dad's got four or five weeks or six weeks of vacation. Yeah, and your dad has worked for effing twenty five or thirty years and you know and and he has earned every minute of that vacation that he got. He when he was your age, he probably had a half a week of vacation, <laughs> yeah. okay? He and, had a lunch, and, and, and that's just, it. <laughs> he had a lunch, exactly. And he was happy that he had <laughs> yeah. a lunch, you know? He was excited to go outside and smoke half a pack of cigarettes throughout the day. He was looking forward <laughs> yeah. to that because it's like, this is my reprieve as I'm standing in this just soul-crushing job at, at the age of 22 or 23. So it's just, it, it's just the level of entitlement that I see is just crazy and the and and it's just like the why can't i have it now why can't i have it now why can't i have the money now why can't i have the vacation now why don't i have the big house why don't i have the nice car it's just like dude like you haven't put in the time like you have not straight up not put in the time and most likely instead of okay i want the i want the nice car right now okay well let's let's have a and, and i i'm I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I think he can be a little bit overblown sometimes, but he makes a very good point. Like you want, you want stuff like get off your butt, turn off Netflix, get off Instagram, you know, shut down YouTube and like go do something <laughs> like go, you know, go in his, in his part, you know, his big thing is like go garage sailing, go flip things on eBay. You know, in my opinion, it, it would be like, you know, Hey, you know, go, uh, you know, go try and like go to companies and like, see if you can like collect their scrap carbide and like get three shops. that will let you take their scrap carbide and then flip it and give them half the money and sell their sell scrap carbide. You know, like there's so many, and it literally, all you have to do is just, you have to get off your ass and do it. Like I, I built my engineering business through cold calling. Like I, like no one ever gave me a freaking customer. I had to get off my ass and make it happen. I graduated. I didn't know anyone other than the people I graduated with. I didn't, I didn't know how to get customers. I literally just like started driving around my hometown of Coopersville and I knocked on every single manufacturer's door. And like, I mean, I had people all from one end of the spectrum of like, they were like super cool and they helped me out and they gave me like one little opportunity that I was able to like parlay and parlay and parlay into something bigger to the other end of the spectrum, the much larger end of the spectrum, I'll say. I literally had people stop me mid-pitch and go, get the <laughs> out of my office. Sorry, <laughs> Nate, I didn't mean to make you bleep this, but it's it's it literally, and that happened multiple times when I was getting started. Like people would chase me out of their buildings. Um and so it's like, you know what, like if, 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 if I survive that, like you can go out and like go garage sailing or you can like, you know, figure out, you know, everyone likes to say like my side hustle. Like, I think that's kind of like a lame way of putting it. It's, but it, it's, at least it's something like go out and do something and start building, you know, start, you know, get into, you know, all this, there's so like, I, 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 the, the amount of like stuff you can do around like, you know, real, I mean, hell real estate, heck, go get, go buy, go buy a clay trader course <laughs> and learn, learn how to 
to, you know, paper trade an account and then get 250 bucks and start working in the markets. I don't know. Like, do something. Don't just sit there and complain about how everyone's killing it and you're just stuck here in first gear. And man, I wish I was like all the people on Instagram. I'm, I, so I'm off my, there we go. No, and I, I was going to say, somebody could argue, so I'm going to just solidify the argument here. Well, Paul, what you're doing, technically speaking, there, there is no guaranteed money that for you putting in the time and effort. That's true. No. That's true. But, but, no. but, fine. If you want to take that argument, my Connor argument is then go deliver pizzas where there's a guaranteed paycheck. There you go. Problem yeah, solved. You're absolutely. guaranteed a paycheck for your time. Paul is not saying the only way is to put your time at risk and not getting anything for your time. If you don't want to take that risk, put your time. Put your put your time at risk. You're watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm sorry, I don't mean it. You can beep that out too, but it's the truth. Like go, you put your time at risk. What's at risk? What's at risk is your free time. Like oh, you're gonna have a mental breakdown. Like if you don't watch Game of Thrones every once a week or something like that, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Especially, it's not like. I don't even know what, because this is before, like in my time, if you wanted to watch something, you'd have to like literally put this thing in a VCR called a VHS. And you then you'd have steal to steal it off the internet like <laughs> no, a man. No, no, this was before the internet. You'd have to literally, okay, it's starting, so record. And then this VHS would spin. So like, okay, I could see maybe an argument there. Well, I got to be at home to press the record button. But in this day and age of technology, oh Half of the people listening to this part are like, what are you even talking about? Press record. Like, I just go on the What's internet. What's a VCR? Yeah, why? Yeah. So, I mean. <laughs> why are there so many yeah, jokes? There are no excuses. <laughs> why are there so many jokes? For, from, yeah. But, I mean, even if you want to yeah. take the petty thing of my time is at risk, to which I fully agree with, I don't care. There's that's there's a, jobs. That's the lamest yeah, excuse. There's jobs all over the place, even for the lamest yes. of lame excuses. So, I mean, yeah, yeah you got to just. It, it, it's, it's. I don't. You know, it's it's just, it it, it, it maddens me. Uh, to, to hear people make excuses like that. Like, I mean, you know, and it's just like, you know, oh, there's no opportunity. There's no, you know, I can't get a break. It's like, dude, you go out and you make opportunity, you make breaks. Like, I can't tell you how many, how much rejection I've taken and how much abuse I've taken over the years to carve out just a little itty bitty niche for myself. Like I'm not over here, like killing the game, making millions of dollars. Like I'm on that road and I'm working towards it. But like if, if I sat down and like did the math of like the effort I've had to put forth and the reward I've gotten to this point, it's like, you're crazy. Go get a job delivering pizzas. But it's like, you got to take the long view of what you're doing. You know, look, look past like the immediate gratification of one to two years. Look out. 10 or 20 years like I'm playing that long game like I I look and the guys that I know who are in their 50s and 60s and they are just killing it I mean making millions of dollars in the manufacturing industry and they started out exactly like I did just just struggling and just working for it and it was 20 years to get to where they are today and they've got another 10 years maybe 15 years left before they're they're taken off and it's it's just like there's this this Instagram culture and of just like I see all these people on Instagram. It's it's funny. I'm talking about Instagram a lot. I just got an Instagram about two months ago. I, all my friends were on it, and I'm sick of Facebook. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try this Instagram thing. And I got on there, and it's hilarious because it's like there's all these people that are just like putting on this show on Instagram, like look how awesome my life is. Like I'm just killing the game, just over here, just living life, traveling all the time, blah blah blah. And it's like. 
people like are comparing themselves to like an unrealistic thing because like I will guarantee you these people are structuring their lives to make it look that way. But I'll bet you, I'll be willing to bet 80% of those people are living exactly like you and me. They just are able to get access and they're able to make themselves look this way. And people like look at this and go, well, I'm not doing as well as these guys. Like I suck. This sucks. This isn't fair. Like, it just drives me crazy. Instagram is filled with $30,000 millionaires. You know, the people that make $30,000 a year, but they, they act like they're a millionaire because they have this thing called a credit card. And behind the scenes, I am stealing is, that. they're just drowning in debt. And also, another great saying that I love, which pretty much describes those guys that are making millions of dollars now in the manufacturing, but it took them 20, 30 years. I think it was in the movie, The Founder, about McDonald's, but he made the comment, Yes. And, you know, I, w- I was an overnight success 20 years in the making. I mean, and that's that's kind of how life actually works. Uh, but yeah, the Instagram culture or whatever you want to call it, I, I'm with you there. I use it. I use it for business purposes. I think it's yep. got its place. But yeah, if you're using, you know, people in exotic locations and they're supposedly doing some sort of, you know, multi-level marketing thing from the Bahamas, oh it's like, I, I don't, we're, I don't buy it. Well, I'm going to have you back and we'll just have an Instagram podcast where we just, we will wreck Instagram for two straight hours about just all the inefficiencies of it. But uh, I don't even know where we were, but this is all good stuff. Where did, what did, well, we, so we, we ended (laughs) before we really fell off and went into a deep dark hole. We ended uh, right as I was kind of like getting into my first two years of college. So if you want, I can pick up again. I want to loop back because people are going to think this is scripted, but it's, it's honestly, well, I don't know. Let me make sure. Did you listen to my previous podcast entitled Beast vs. Brat? Okay. Because you made that, you made the concept about, you feel like this generation there's a, what did you put? There's just the, the cohort, the cohort is much larger in terms of a lot of people that are worthless. Is that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. The cohort. Of yeah. yeah. Is huge. So, and, and my previous podcast uh, that I argued, I took two articles and one was about ghosting. Do you know what ghosting is? I have no okay. idea, but I would love but to hear about is it. People like either accept jobs or they accept a job interview and then they just don't even show up. So it fits perfectly into your premise of like, uh, yeah, I just accepted a job first day, they don't even show up or they never show up at all or they don't show oh. up to interviews. I never heard the term, but that's ghosting. So, Oh, I could tell you so many stories about that. Well, yeah, yeah keep going. So there's that big demographic. And then did you see an article um, or the news out there? There was some, I think he was 20 years old. He was driving to work, but his car broke down or his car broke down, but instead of just like calling in, he started to walk to work. Did you hear about that? No, so yeah, some twenty-year-old kid. He got a job at a moving company for the summer. His car broke down, but instead of you know coming up with any excuse and kind of a valid excuse, he mm-hmm. started walking to work. And then at like four a.m., some cops saw him, picked him up, took him to breakfast, took him to work. And then the owner was or the the customer was like, "You want a break?" I mean, he's like, "No." And he started working and moving. And then she started a, a GoFundMe to get this kid a car. She it was like, "I want two thousand." They raised like 32000 But long story short, then the what? owner of this moving company ended up driving down from like Tennessee to Alabama and gave him his car. And you made the comment, what, wow. what did you, you said something about if you like work hard, um, like good stuff, like just kind of follows you around. I can't remember what you said, um, but it was like yeah. exactly what I argued in this previous podcast was, you know, if you're actually worth something and work hard. It's amazing what sort of good things actually happen with it. But my final argument was, you know, if you are a millennial, 
just relish the fact that there's a bunch of losers and worthless people out there. Oh. Because think about how far that lowers the bar for you to get ahead. Oh, for you to look, I have so much to say about this. Yeah, please, let, go for it. I mean, but would you okay. not agree that people actually have a huge advantage if you're just willing to, I don't know, dare I say, break a sweat? Dare I say, put in a little work because there are so many losers out there? I I have so much to say about this topic. So, I should have uh, had you listen to that podcast. That way I could have really gotten your blood I, boiling so you could have seen these two articles <laughs> I talked about. I would have been like coming out here just like foaming at the <laughs> mouth and barking like a dog chasing cars down the street. So, okay. So here's here's my thought process. And I actually held off from saying this earlier because I feel like it's kind of a brutal standpoint, but it's one that I hold very near and dear. When I'm laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling at one o'clock in the morning, which does happen from time to time. And I find myself contemplating what I'm doing and the amount of effort that I'm putting into it. And it's like, where's this all going? Like, what is going to happen? Like, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I going to be a success? Um, is my company going to be a success? Can I, can I, you know, support my employees and their families, you know? And I, I have like this moment of Zen where I go like, all right, Paul, think about all the idiots that you've met who are plus or minus five years your age, okay? Think about what happens when this massive sucking void of baby boomers begins to leave the workforce, which they already have. My my stepfather is uh, 65 or 66 years old, somewhere in there. He's like the leading, I think he's like in the leading edge of the boomers. Um, and, you know, dude's a metallurgical engineer uh from michigan tech you know he's got an mba uh you know ran a quality department at a foundry for you know 25 years just a boss just a, a straight killer in the foundry so a beast, world which like, we would call it here he sounds like a, a beast, beast. All right. a, a beast and and then he retires and it's like you know, there's, and I have a lot of respect for the people. I hope no one that, I have a lot of respect for the guys who came in behind him. I have a ton of respect. They're customers of mine. So, of course, I, I appreciate them and, and I think they're doing a good job. But, like, there's not enough beasts in the millennial cohort to fill the shoes of all the ones that are leaving. Interesting. And it goes I, I, from, yeah, good point. it goes from the beast. It goes from the beast. Who's literally standing in front of a CNC machine. He's been there for 20 years. He can run it in his sleep. He can troubleshoot it. He can maintain it. It's his baby. And he's awesome at it. And then all the way up to CEOs and owners of businesses. Um, you know, I, I read the local business newspaper every month and the M&A activity is just ticking up every single month. There's just more mergers, more acquisitions. And I talk to business owners and there's just a lot of them do not have, there's, there's no, there's, they have no children that they have in the business or who would be capable of coming into the business. And so really their only options are to either sell out to private equity, sell out to one of their competitors or um, ESOP their business, which is an employee owned stock option or something like that, where essentially become an employee owned business. Um, and I, I, there's just, there's not those just beasts where like a lot of those guys, they bought the companies they own, they bought from the previous owner, or maybe the previous owner was their dad, or maybe they cold started it. And 
you know, I look at that and I go, man, there's going to be, the world is only going to get more and more ripe with opportunities yes. because yep. of how, mu- how, how much less competition I feel like there is in my age group. And I, 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 I and I'm going to tell you guys a story about how I, I wound up in the 3d printing business in a little bit and it ties directly to this, but I mean, people are like, oh, you know, the, you know, 1950s and 60s, you know, the post-war boom, you know, those were the golden days. Those when, you know, you could, you know, come out of high school and buy a Corvette and have a job and work there 30 years. Like, and now there's just no opportunity. Like, I can't get a leg up. I can't, I can't get, you know, what my grandpa had and I sure can't get what my dad had. And it's just like, dude, you, if you can go out and get yourself in like that beast type mode, beast mode, if you know, that's, that's exactly um, what we call beast mode. Yep. Yeah. If you can get that, if you can be that beast mode kid coming in who doesn't know a lot, but is willing to learn and is fun to work with and doesn't have a shitty, shitty attitude. Let me throw um, in one thing and shuts his mouth and knows how to listen. Proceed onwards. Proceed onwards. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You are going to go so far. And yeah, it's going to take some work. And yeah, it's not always going to be fun. But I can promise you, you are going to be in an amazing position by the time you're getting into your mid-30s. Because the the vacuum is just going to pull people up. As the top of these companies empty out, as senior positions empty out, they're going to be like, holy crap, where are we going to be getting people to fill these? They're going to be looking. They're going to be looking for people who have the ability, even if they, I'm sorry, even if they don't have the ability right now, have the potential, exactly, potential. to learn yep. and have the potential. And you and you show, you show demonstrate potential by all the things we just said. Showing up, working hard, being fun to work with, and keeping your mouth shut and keeping your ears open. You will rise in organizations, even if you don't have that fancy degree, even if you don't have you know what you think is a lot of connections. And it doesn't just apply to like get a job and work inside an organization because I'm looking at it from like, I'm in business, you know, I'm going to have opportunities to potentially buy businesses or, or partner in businesses because they have no other choice. They have to find a way to, to, to pass it on because I'm their retirement plan. I'll tell you right now, as a business owner, like, you know, I'm not necessarily contributing to a 401k. I'm building all my eggs are in my businesses right now. Okay. And so, and a lot of other guys are in similar situations. Their businesses are worth millions and millions of dollars. And if they just hand it off to some idiot who they do it on a land contract ish, not necessarily land contract, but that type of owner financing. And then this guy just totally screws it up. Well, guess what? There goes their retirement. And I got, and I got to cut you off there real quick. So listen to what Paul just said. I, all your retirement, I mean, pretty much your life is in this business right now, right? It's okay. all me. All, all, it's it's, it's so all me. So that's what we call risk. Paul is willing to take on huge, huge risk. risk. <laughs> so if it works out in his favor, screw you government, screw you people that want to tax Paul all this money oh, because, God. well, he makes a bunch of money now. <laughs> Did you take the risk that Paul put on? Did you do all the work that Paul's uh, doing? No. So yeah, shut but, your yeah, mouth yeah, about but, wanting to take all this because yeah, Paul is a big evil guy but, that makes a bunch of money. Don't, but Clay, I, I didn't build those bridges. I didn't build those roads. I didn't. I didn't build that infrastructure. Uh, that's that's all. That's all uh, uh, the, the 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 government. And I agree, they did build it. But guess what? I pay my taxes. <laughs> yes, and I pay a lot of taxes. And you pay those I taxes pay because taxes. you are taking on risk that other people are not willing to take on. If you want to deliver pizzas, that's totally cool. I don't judge you at all. Totally I commend cool. you. For I doing love pizza, that. and I don't like driving to get it. So but I just understand it. that from a risk perspective, you have no risk. 
Domino's is more than likely not going out of business, so you more than likely have no. a paycheck waiting for you. You have a very low risk to get a return on your time. Paul, he has yeah. no, his risk is, I mean, he has a risk. There is no guarantees that he is the employer. None. He doesn't have Domino's hanging over him saying, it's okay, Paul, well, we're gonna compensate you no for whatever. So you, that's what people just don't understand. And, it, and they don't understand how risk factors only- into businesses and how somewhere along the line, yeah, that that bridge was built, but that bridge was built because people like Paul, people like myself who have built businesses, we take risks that other people don't want to take. And that's fine if you don't want to take that risk, but you can't have it both ways. There you go. I am off my soapbox now. Yeah. No, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, you know, I mean, and as an employer, I mean, you know, I have the family and not just my employees. I mean, they're young, but, but, but a couple of them not only are married, but have children. You know, and I, I, it's a huge, I take it a huge responsibility in making sure I provide for not only my employees, but also their families. Yep. And, you know, guess what? We're all paying taxes. You know, we all are paying taxes. I don't care if you don't own a company, even if you're just an individual and you're out there and you're looking at your paycheck at the end of every week and you're seeing what you're paying to the federal government. Like, you should hold the federal government yes. accountable because you're pay you're paying for those bridges and you're paying for those railroads and and you know you need to hold your government accountable for what they're doing with that money you know that's there we go so I'm off my okay. yeah. <laughs> oh uh, all right well let's because this is a great story uh, full disclosure this part is not quite unscripted because. Um, I heard it in a hot tub with Paul. That sounds awkward, but don't worry. There was like four other guys in the hot tub with us in Florida. So that doesn't sound weird at all. But I mean, I guess you can take that wherever you want. But you got to tell the story about how did you get into the whole 3D printing business? Because this is good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're kind of like... uh like the uh, memento that movie where you're like watch the movie backwards <laughs> I, I, that was the one that was a i took a film class in college because i could get a 4.0 in it and not really have and to there's probably no math you watch it. the memento uh, absolutely <laughs> no math there's just a crazy there's just a crazy liberal uh who stood at the front of the room and ranted and raved about movies and he had some interesting opinions and that, that's okay everyone's entitled to their opinions but uh let's this the story that I'm, I'm sort of telling i'm sort of like weaving a narrative and we're, you're getting like previews of where the story is going as we're talking. So anyways, so uh, up at Ferris, uh, first two years, really enjoyed it. Second two years, I get into the manufacturing engineering side of things and I start to not enjoy it as much. It was very paperwork heavy. It was very, um, you know, just not what I necessarily thought the job was going to be. And I kept looking over at like the mechanical engineers and I just thought to myself like, man, I would love to do that. I just wish I didn't have to take through Calc 4 to do it. <laughs> um, and so, but you know, I was working at shops. I was a, a hell of a CAD uh, guy with Katia at the time, if I say so myself. And uh, yeah, my uh, uh, summer of 2009, um, I'm working for a Chrysler owned, uh, stamping plant in Grand Rapids or tool and die shop. Chrysler is essentially getting bailed out and bought by Fiat or merged by Fiat at that point. So, um, speaking of like putting in the work, uh, my paid summer internship, uh, evaporated two weeks before I was going to come to work for them for the summer. Um, and I got to then do my internship unpaid because if I didn't have it, I wouldn't graduate on time. And so, yeah, that's a real fun thing is going to work every day and literally not getting paid 
to go to work and work every day and then write papers to your college professor about how much you're learning at your internship. But you got anyways, paid an experience um, though. And, and I think a, a good I got story. Paid, well, we got, I got paid an experience. And then the, the kicker was at just the week before I was going to head back up to Ferris. Um, I, uh, my boss came to me and said, Hey, you know, Fiat bailed us out. Chrysler is now owned by them and I can pay you again. I'm like, Oh, that's great. I'm going to leave in a week. So that's cool. Pick up one paycheck for whatever, seven, eight bucks an hour or whatever it was back then. But I'm like, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> I was desperate at that point. And he goes, well, you know, you're going to come back and work on Fridays during the school year again. Right. And, uh, and I was like, well, no, I, I have Friday classes this year because I'd done that the year before. And uh, I said, no, I got Friday classes. You know, I can't uh, I can't do that. And uh, he's like, oh, that's too bad. We just won't have anyone to give all the shit work to until you come back at Christmas. And he, well, he's laughing, walking away from my cubicle. And I kind of rolled that around in my head a little bit. And I thought, what if, what if my cubicle wasn't in this building? What if my cubicle was actually my college uh, apartment? could I still do my job effectively? And uh, I thought about it. I'm like, well, I, I pick up the phone, I instant message, I, I use email, you know, I, I think I could do my job from there if I really wanted to. And so I went to my boss and I said, Mike, you know, let's just say hypothetically speaking, if I had a seat of Katia CAD software up at Big Rapids with me in, at school, would you send me work up there? And he's like, yeah, probably. And I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, well, could, could we, could we do that? And he's like, well, you got to go talk to the big boss and see if he'll agree to it. And the big boss was this gentleman by the name of Dennis. Um, very, very, at that point in my life, very intimidating man. Um, you know, running this, you know, hundred million dollar a year tool and die shop and, uh, just old school, you know, very, very to the point type type guy. And, uh, I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like, well, I guess I got to go pitch dentist on this so i'm just crapping my pants like I, the next day i finish my lunch and i get on the elevator and i go downstairs and i go over to dennis's office and i kind of like knock on the door and he looks at me and uh we we talked maybe once or twice so he knew who i was but i don't think he knew any more than that and he's like what's up and i was like uh yeah so uh you know I was talking to mike and you know he uh he said that if i could do katia work from school and big rapids then he would hire me but he said i need to talk to you first and dennis is like what do you need to talk to me about i'm like uh could could we do that he's like do what i'm like could mike send me work in big rapids he's like what does mike say i'm like oh uh, he said yes and he's like yeah sure i don't care and just goes back to eating his lunch and i was like i want to like jump up and down <laughs> just be like yeah I kind of like like oh, oh okay thanks thanks Dennis and I just like turned around and got in the elevator and I was just like fist bumping all the way up to the second floor I was like yeah I'm in business and then I was like I wonder how much a seat of Katia costs and uh so I I uh my one of my professors put me in touch with a guy who sells it and uh guy uh is like oh yeah it'll get you a very basic seat of katia it'll cost you about twenty thousand dollars i was like oh oh okay might have been about it might have been a million dollars to be honest right, at that right. point that's and, a lot of uh, zeros and I was, you know that's a lot of, it's like more zeros than i've ever seen before i'm like twenty thousand dollars like oh my god so um you know i was i kind of went and talked to you know some some mentors and and uh and, and kind of was like you know i I, I could do this. Like, I think they're like, well, do you think you could make $20,000 before the end of the school year? I'm like, 
oh, it's full school year. I'm sure I probably could. So I went, I just said, screw it. <laughs> and, and looking back on it, it's one of the crazier things I've ever done. But yeah, I, I freaking got, you know, 20 grand and a student, an extra student loan for that year. Uh, I just chalked it up to like, uh, I, you know, did, whatever. Let me ask you this from a, a business perspective. Did you run any numbers like, okay, I'm, I'm projected to make, I literally, did you know how much money you, you, you could potentially make? I literally didn't even have like a signed, I had nothing. I had Michael and Dennis being like, yeah, sure. We'll send you some work. Like that was it. Like I looking back okay. on it, this is one of those moments where like you look back on it, you're like, a, this shouldn't have worked. B, I was an idiot. And C, I got, you know, I took an opportunity and ran with it and I, I managed to, to get a little lucky and make it work. Um, and so, and I always knew that like, well, I got to pay all the student loans back anyways. So what the hell? I'm going to pay it back one way or the other. You know, I'm going to get a job. I knew I wasn't going to school for underwater basket weaving. I knew I would get a job. <laughs> so it's like, well, I will pay this money back with interest one way or the other. It's not like I'm going to go bankrupt behind this it's just gonna really suck i'm i'm gonna be living right, in my i'm okay. gonna be living in my my parents basement for an extra you know six months eight months to pay this money back you know um and let, when you say you knew you were gonna have a job did you have an idea ballpark of how much you would be making yeah, salary yeah i mean you know i knew that i okay. could i could start at probably close to 50 maybe fifty-five thousand a year out of college which is what the guys ahead of me were telling me they were getting and then i knew that by you know that's at 22 i knew by by, you know, 27, 28, I'd be probably knocking down 65 to 75,000, you know, and then it, it climbs from there. Right. So, right. So it's not like you were just, I mean, yeah, you didn't have any business, but you knew you had potential future revenue. And let's say this entrepreneur thing doesn't work out. I'm still employable. Yeah. So I know people will pay me. So, okay. So I just want, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want a listener to get the yeah, well, I'm going to be like that Paul guy heard on a podcast who just randomly on That's a whim a fair point. without any other thought <laughs> got 20,000. No, there was, yeah, sure, there wasn't any work, but, you know, Paul did enough homework to understand but the job market. I, I and, also knew, like, I, I have an unreasonable amount of faith in myself. Um, you know, I, 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 and I just. In yourself or in your work ethic? Because I would well, argue there's a difference. It, I don't know. I knew I, I would was argue that be, you have an uh, you have a confidence in your work ethic because you know you're willing yeah. to work to get stuff done. I, I guess maybe I, I mean, that's kind of how I view and I view myself. I, I think you're probably not wrong. I knew that I was go I was going to figure this out one way or the other, and I have a skill set that is in demand, even if it's not highly in demand because we're coming out of the recession. But it's like I knew that like I would be able to pay this money back, and yeah, it it might mean that I can't have fancy things for another year, and it might mean that. You know, it, life's not going to be. I'm not going to get off to quite as fast a start as some of my classmates. But like, it was a calculated risk. It really was. I guess it's weird. I guess there I've never, go. I've never calculated. I've never talked to anyone quite like you about this. So maybe you're giving me some some good perspective because most people, I think, just shake their heads and they're like, "What an idiot!" Oh and no, they're not I love wrong. this stuff. They're I, not I, wrong. I, I, I right. But yeah, it, it, and you're at, it, that. So there was a calculation of the risk involved in in that initial investment. I knew that I could pay it back, and I knew it wasn't going to like bankrupt me. And let's be honest, I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I didn't even have a freaking dog. Go, yep. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a mortgage. <laughs> I own my car. Like I, like I said, I, my parents are super cool. They were like, "You can move back into the basement. Like your bed's still there." Like 
you know, I had a way to survive. And like even and let's say even if my parents were like, hell no, you can't move back in the basement. Okay, I'll get an apartment in Coopersville for 500 bucks a month with a roommate. And you can't tell me that there's no way I'm going to be able to service this debt and get it off the books quick, fast in a hurry, even if this doesn't work. Okay, that, that and that's good stuff because too many people get apples and oranges and it's like, oh, well, I mean, so in an absolute worst case scenario, and I, I like how you threw in, because I, I was waiting, oh, great, Paul, you just gave the, well, technically, Paul had the golden parachute of his parents being there for him. What about people that don't have his parent for him? Well, all right, Paul already eliminated that. Get Even a cheap if he apartment. had to go out there, yeah, he's, it was, still would have been okay. Yeah. It's not like your life would have been ruined had you made zero money from the $20,000 loan, no, right? But, I mean, so that's, but that's the other thing. Like, you got to understand, in my line of work, like, I knew that those guys were going to send me work. They, they, they told me they were going to. They wouldn't. I knew for a fact that if they told me that, they were not going to stiff me. They would at least send me a couple thousand dollars worth of work. I knew that. And then it's just like, I'll figure it out. Because the other thing is, what I realized by that point in my college career is what I lacked in uh, uh, academic prowess, I made up for in people skills and personality. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I could sell, uh, I, I realized as I was, uh, you know, and, and as awkward as that conversation with Dennis was, and it was that bad. Um, I realized, uh, about that, that, that summer and just some of the dealings that I had around, I had a knack for reading people. I had a knack for understanding what they were trying to get. And then I had a way of helping them get it. And it was like a real epiphany because I always felt, you know, sitting in school, I'd see people who were awesome at like, you know, spelling and grammar and math and like everyone's good at something, you know, and it's like, what am I good at? I'm not good at anything. It was like, I'm good at like making things on a CNC machine and that's it. But what I realized as I was getting ready to graduate after taking some, you know, some, some classes uh, and actually, you know what it was? It was a public speaking class. I walked into that public speaking class and uh, I sat down and I was, you know, nervous, but you know what? I got up there and like all of a sudden I got excited and like I was up in front of the class and I was talking to everyone and, you know, people were paying attention to me and I, it got to the point where I was putting on a show for these people. I was up there and I was just having a ball and people are laughing and we're having a good time and I'm talking about crazy stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I think my capstone project in that I'm in, I'm in a public university and, you know, my, my professor uh, very nice lady, but you know, definitely what I would say left leaning. And my capstone like project or speech was getting up there and trying to explain why I thought, you know, the NFA ban on machine guns in 1986 was, was wrong. And that if we put a system in place to regulate production and, uh, and ownership that I thought, uh, machine guns should be legalized in the United States again. And I'm up there and I've got this lady in the back just cackling and having a good time. And at the end of it, she's like, yeah, you know what? I don't agree with you, but you, you know what? we had a good time while you talked about it you know and so I had I, I knew that I could sell I didn't know how to sell I didn't know how sales worked but that was the other thing that gave me confidence when I sort of look back on it that, that's good stuff but the moral of the story here is even in a worst case scenario you would have been okay yeah because you knew that you had all those other like you said a calculated risk calculated so, risk um, and that's what business building is all about it's not like People are out there doing, you know, random risk. You got to do calculated risk. So that that's good, man. That was a good conversation. But yeah. let's we got to get. Let's talk about three D printing. How okay. did you yep. move yourself into the three D so. printing? Oh, I know. I'm sorry, I lied. And let me just clarify this whole starting everything in your dorm room. That's all 
that all stemmed from that job that you took that you didn't get any pay from, yeah. right? Is that absolutely okay. without so, that so job? So your car broke down. Your car broke down, but you're like, you know what? I'm still gonna yep. walk to work. Yep. And to think that all that has happened because you decided to still take that job. Yeah, absolutely. Where you decided to not cry and actually work hard. So I just yeah. throwing that out there, listeners. I mean, think about it. all this is stemming from. Him not throwing up his hands and playing the victim card because all of a sudden he's not going to get paid for this uh, internship. I mean, yeah. so you really yeah, that, that's good stuff. Yeah, that and that's it. I mean, man, that that job uh, put me on the path that I am on today. No question about it. Um, so anyways, uh, so moving 3D printing. Yeah, moving ahead rapidly. Start D, start DeWise Engineering, grow DeWise Engineering, learn a lot of very hard lessons along the way, have some good success, have plenty of failure. I like to say I really do believe all my successes are built on a mountain of my own failure, and I will I will stand by that statement. Um, and so May of 2016 rolls around, and I'm sitting in my office. I got uh, my four coworkers sitting in there with, with me at that point. 350 square foot office and there are five of us sitting in it i didn't even have a desk at that point i was literally just like standing in the corner like reading emails on my phone and like looking at my laptop that was sitting on a actually a a poker table that we use as a conference room table um and i get a phone call ross gates select manufacturing and uh and i'm like man i haven't talked to ross in a while ross was my 3d printing vendor so pick up the phone ross is a real character. He was one of the original 3D printing service bureaus in the world. Uh, he got into it in 1992. SLA 3D printing was patented and commercialized in 1988. So that tells you how early he was to the scene. Um, ran a very successful business uh, over in Muskegon, Michigan for a long time. And the problem with Ross was he was the technical side of his business. His wife was the real like business person. And so they were a great team for a long time. But, you know, his wife, uh, when, when, and so this is 2016 and 2009, when the economy just hit the skids, his wife had said, Ross, you know what, let's, let's, let's sell this business. Let's retire. You know, we're, we're in our sixties or actually late, late fifties at that point, let's retire. And Ross had said, no, no, I love my job. You can retire. I'm going to keep running the business. Well, as tends to happen when an extremely technical person without necessarily the want to learn the business side of things, because I think extremely technical people can be good business people too, but you have to force yourself to learn business. So instead of doing that, he just kept doing what he'd always done and pretty much ran his, you know, probably $2 million a year business into the rocks. And I mean, like, bad like he i was one of his customers but like his quality was terrible his timing was terrible the only thing that was good about select manufacturing was the price um and so but i kept using them because hey the price was right and i could deal with the rest um but i'd become friends with ross you know i'm a, i i, I kind of you know befriended him and uh i i two years before that uh i had been in there and he was telling me oh you know my my children you know my child just bought a house out on the east coast and i want to go visit her but i'm i'm tied to this business i can't leave and he didn't really have any he had his himself a bookkeeper and like a part finishing guy and he's like i can't leave if i leave the business you know shuts down you know and i kind of just jokingly i was like well ross i said you should sell me this business i'd love to buy it from you and he's like well maybe I will. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, 
sure, maybe, maybe I guess I want to buy it. And so we sat down and kind of chatted about it a little more seriously, but he was, he wasn't ready. So I just said, you know what, Ross, you got my number, man. When you're ready to sell this business, you call me. So May, it's a Tuesday, Tuesday, May, 2016 phone rings, select manufacturing, uh, pick it up. Paul, it's Ross Gates. I'm done. <laughs> I'm selling it. You want it? <laughs> that was literally how the conversation started. I was like, uh, hi, Ross. Uh, let's talk, man. I don't know. I'd love to talk with you about it. And so, uh, hung up the phone and looked at my employees and I said, I got to go to Muskegon. I don't know when I'll be back because here's the thing with Ross. Ross is a wonderful man who I, I really, really like. And, uh, and, and, uh, but the honest truth is having a conversation with Ross Gates is like running from a zombie apocalypse, no matter how fast or how far you run, Ross just keeps coming. The man could talk like unlike anyone I've ever seen. Um, and so I said, guys, I might be there an hour. I might be there the rest of the day. I'm just going to go and I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm just going to see what happens. So I drive over to select and I walk in and there's Ross and we sit down in his office and he just freaking goes. And we talked about nothing in relation to buying or selling that business or about that business for four hours. For four hours, we talked about everything you can imagine from his childhood to his adolescence to all the other jobs he's had to his friends to his hobbies. I mean, just giving it to me with both barrels. And I just, I, I, as I was walking in there, I just said, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And I'm going to let him talk. And I am not going to be the center of this. I'm going to let him talk. Four hours go by. I'm, and that's not exaggeration. That is, I have the audio for it, dude. I recorded <laughs> okay, it on I, my phone because I, I don't, I'm not a note taker. So I record all my meetings. And so that's smart. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I still have the audio recording somewhere. <laughs> Four hours in, he looks at me and goes, well, I suppose you're curious about my business. And I go, yeah, Ross. I said, I figured we'd get to it eventually. And he, he kind of chuckles and, you know, he's like, um, oh, you know, I'm 65, my hips going out, my knees hurt, you know, I'm winters are cold. Florida's nice. I'm ready to get out of here. I'm like, great. Perfect. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, you know, what do what are you thinking? He's like, well, I don't know, you know, I'm thinking maybe I'll sell you the the assets of the business and the customer list. He's like, there's no value left in the name. It's just the assets that really have value to them. And I said, okay. I'm like, well, what, uh, what, are, the, what are the assets for something like this? What do you think you want to get for me? He said, well, you know, I'd like to get $100,000 for, for everything. And I'm sitting there thinking in my head, like, you might as well ask for a million dollars because I don't have a hundred thousand dollars to, to work with on this. Um, I'm like, okay. the zeros just keep on expanding. Exactly. From 20, 000, now a hundred thousand. I had that. I had that same moment of when they told me how much Katia costs. And so I, I said, well, let me go talk to some people. So I, I skittered out of there and I called a couple of my mentors. I, I will say I'm big on mentorship. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of guys out there that have done what I'm doing before me. So why reinvent the wheel? So I'm very big on, you know, I've, I've found mentors over the years and I lean on them heavily. Um, and so I called up a couple that had bought and sold businesses and I said, you know, what the heck am I, what the heck am I doing here? Like what, it, you know, so they gave me some advice and it really, it was a very reasonable cost for what he was selling because I was getting two pieces of equipment. I was getting his entire customer list dating back to 1992, even though 
if I found out later on most of those customers wanted nothing to do with him, but that was besides the point. Getting all of his post-processing equipment and uh, and that was about it, you know. And I remember so, asking you in the hot tub, um, weren't the machines in and of themselves worth more than $100,000? When I sat down, so what I did, so short answer, yes. Long answer. Okay. I asked him, I said, Ross, who does your service on these machines? And he said, oh, this company out um, in Pella, Iowa, RP Support. I said, can I get the owner's name? And uh, and so I called up the owner and I introduced myself. And I was very vague about who I was and what exactly I was calling him about. But essentially what I told him was, because I, I, I didn't want him to go and buy the machines out from underneath me because I knew that this guy bought and fixed and then resold used SLA machines, which when I say SLA, that's a 3D printer. Um, so I, I, I was very vague and I said, hey, I got an SLA 5000 and an SLA 500 that I'm looking at. And, you know, what's the book value on something like that? And he's like, well, it really depends on the machine and how much maintenance it's had, and blah, blah, blah. So we kind of circled around for a while. And I eventually found out that, you know, if these are working machines in good, you know, not good condition, but reasonable condition, you can usually get between 50 and 100,000 or 50 and 75,000, between 50 and $75,000 for one of these machines. Well, I was looking at getting two of those machines plus his customer list, plus all of his part finishing, his ovens, all, all of his material, which the material for this stuff is ungodly expensive. It's like 200 and 40 some odd dollars a kilogram um and you load the machines essentially to load a machine with material just to load it with materials about seventy five thousand dollars um and so he had full machines full full of material so i mean there was book value in the material so it, it came out to okay if i bought this stuff and i turned around and i spent a couple months and maybe 10 or 20 grand fixing it up i could probably flip all this equipment and get 30 to 40 grand for my time. Okay. Um, which, so that was kind of my hedge of like, okay, even if I buy this equipment, run it for a little while, the business doesn't work. I can, these assets, there's, there's value in these assets beyond what he was asking for. Cause honestly, at this point he was just looking to get out. So I, I call it a fire sale because that's really what it was. So there was, yeah, he was flat out liquidating. He was flat out liquidating. And so there was value in these machines beyond what I was going to pay for them. Um, hold on, I gotta take so it sounds here. like a good business deal so far. Hmm. Oh, you're drying my throat out here. <clears throat> um, yeah, so, so no. And then, um, at that point it's like, well, how do, how do you buy a business? And that was a whole nother adventure. <laughs> um, I'm going to spare you the details of, but, uh, essentially, um, we got the deal done a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, and I took, the machines. I hired his maintenance company to come out, decommission the machines. And while all this is happening, my my landlord at the time, uh, I was subleasing office space from him and the building we were in got sold out from underneath me and him because he was actually leasing from the true landlord. So it's like, I'm like two levels removed from the actual landlord. So our building got sold and my uh, my my current, my then, you know, sub landlord was like, I'm buying a building you know, would you like to build out offices? You know, I'll give you a sweetheart deal to build out your offices and everything. So it's like the timing was incredible on it because I was going to take, you know, 2,500 square feet of office space 
and you know put it on the square the it's an old warehouse so i was going to remodel a corner of this warehouse put my offices in it and he was going to put his metal fabrication company out in the high bay area and so i said well let me do this i'll mezzanine my offices and i'll put these 3d printers on the ground floor underneath of them and so the timing was just ridiculously good for when ross called me because i was i was literally four weeks away from starting construction so i literally just called my contractor and said What's it going to take to mezzanine this thing so that I can put these machines on the ground floor? And it just, it all lined up very well. Now, it was a big shit show going forward from there because now I'm juggling running an engineering company, buying a 3D printing company, and trying to general or kind of be the general contractor on building out offices. And I have zero construction experience and I've never bought a business before. The only thing I know how to do is run an engineering company. So I was like, you want to talk about bale and water, like uh, for, for the summer of 2016 into, uh, so we bought the machines in July, we moved them, we commissioned them by August, we were in the 3D printing business in a unfinished corner of a warehouse. So like we had like a light bulb hanging above the machines and like no internet, no, the phones didn't, the cell phones didn't work in the building. It was a shit show for like six months and then finally we got the building done we moved the engineering business over there from our temporary offices you know everything started to kind of fall into place um and and you know and the thing was you know i bought this 3d printing company it didn't take off like a shot i mean it was a slog i mean i I had to put serious money into beyond just buying the equipment. I had to put serious money into fixing the machines because there were issues with them that I wasn't made aware of until they had moved into my facility, which was a whole nother issue. And then, you know, I've hired uh, uh, an employee specifically for this business. So I'm paying him and you know, the, the jobs aren't just like pouring in. Like it was a real slog. It was not like, Oh, you bought, you build it and they'll come or you buy it and they'll come. It wasn't that at all. And so, you know, it was, it was a, a year of just a day and night working, just working, 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 working on the business, working on sales, trying to keep my engineering business, you know, going so it could fund some of this deficit, this black hole of another business that I'd bought. I mean, there were so many times where I was just like sitting there in my office chair at 11 o'clock at night, just like staring at QuickBooks, just going like, what in the literal am I going to do? I, I, again, I'm sorry, but it's really, I can't put it any clearer than no, that. I, yeah, no, I, and that's, it goes back to the, I get it, you know, businesses that you look up and, oh, they make a bunch of money. They, oh. they, they deserve, I mean, think about it. this is, a, this is America right here. This is what America was built on is, hor- I mean, I don't know if horror story is the right word, but like those nights were like, you're literally still at work at 11 PM and you're thinking, how are we going to make this work? What's going to go on? Yeah. And you got you know, to just keep on grinding. The most, the most humbling experience of my entire life. Um, and like I said, my success is built on a mountain of my own failures. And it's, it, 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 I'll say it once, I'll say it a million times. Most humbling experience of my entire life. On top of all this other stuff, um, my, my wonderful uh, bookkeeper, um, Jennifer, uh, was, was pregnant. And so she was taking maternity leave, uh, from like the, uh, end of January, 2017 till the beginning of, uh, May, end of May, beginning of June or something like that. So I'm finishing construction. I'm 
trying to keep this 3D printing company alive and growing. I'm running my engineering business. And she came and then I'm and then I'm the bookkeeper. And remember what I said about math? Well, guess what? I'm also horrific at the bookkeeping and things. She was actually my first employee. My first employee was not a CAD designer and it was not a engineer. It was a bookkeeper, a uh, part time because my accountant, my CPA literally said, I will fire you. You will no longer be my client next tax season if you bring me a crappy QuickBooks file and a box of receipts, which is literally what I'd brought him the two years pre- previous to that. <laughs> and so to be fired by I your was, accountant. That's, I was literally going to be fired by my CPA, who's a family friend, a, a good personal friend. <laughs> that and makes he it literally, so much worse. He was yeah. literally like, he's literally like, you can't afford much, but he's like, you can afford five hours a week of bookkeeping. And so I got unbelievably lucky. I found this wonderful young lady named Jennifer and she became my bookkeeper and she, you know, was instrumental to helping me build my businesses. And so she goes on maternity leave. Now I'm the bookkeeper. So she comes back and I will never forget. Um, she, she walks in my office. She's like, we got to talk. I'm like, okay. And she shuts the door. And that's when I knew like, uh Oh, this is not going to be good. Um, and she goes, yeah. So, uh, between DE and Forerunner, you've got us running about a $60,000 deficit. And I was like, what? And honestly, this is the first time I've ever said this publicly. Like this is, this is one of the most, uh, humbling moments in my life. You gotta, you're running, we're running a $60,000 deficit. 30 grand is due next week. And you're not the U S government. So it actually not, matters. And I'm not the U S government. And I mean, I was like, what's in, what's in accounts receivable. She's like, uh, you know, there's like, you know, uh, 15 grand in accounts receivable, but that's going to be coming due next week, but we got payroll too. So we got to make payroll. And the most humbling experience of my life was picking, was, was swallowing my pride and picking up the phone and calling my vendors, call my electrician, uh, you know, call my metal fabricator, call my vendors and literally be like, Hey, I, I fucked up. I fucked up and I cannot pay you on time. Can I get extended terms? Can we work out a payment plan? You know, I had to call, I literally had to call the 3D printing uh, repair company that I used. I had a relationship with them for six months and I had to be like, I, I, I need extended terms. You got to give me extended terms. And the coolest thing happened. I figured that people were going to threaten to sue me. People were going to be pissed, but the most amazing thing happened. 201 these guys are just like yeah i've been there i've been there man like it ha- shit happens you know we believe in you we believe you you're, you're going to do you're going to find a way through this you know let's fa- let's extend your terms let's figure out how to rework your your credit let's get you on a payment plan 201 and i took that $30,000 obligation and i i mean i dropped it down to like 5 grand and and we floated it and the, that summer that was a tough summer that was, uh, I was working hundred hour weeks because I was working, you know, a 50 hour week as a sales guy out there for forerunner and DE trying to keep everything alive. And I was working a 50 hour week as a mechanical designer and engineer, uh, designing, uh, stuff for DE just so I could try to help shovel this hole back full. Um, and you know what we, we managed to pull it together. And, uh, like I said, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to a lot of my vendors, and we pulled it off, and and that was that was the inflection point. That was when it, Forerunner was in a stall, and it was just pointed right at the ground, and I couldn't get it to pull out of the stall. And that 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 June, July, and August, I finally started to get some lift under the wings, and just freaking pulled back for all I was worth, and pulled out of the nosedive 
into September and it was just like, holy shit, that was the scariest thing I've ever done. And, uh, you know, and like I said, like it, 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 that, that was one of those moments where like, I just, you got to humble yourself and you got to be willing to like lean on those relationships that you've built because you know what? I, I was, I was a good dude. Like I, I, I tried my best to always pay my bills on time and I always had, and you know, I, I, I built up goodwill with my, with my vendors and, and, uh, and some of my customers even, you know, um, and, and it really saved me. And that was a real pivotal moment in the companies right there where I kind of said, you know what, like we really got to go back to the drawing board on this and, you know, figure out, you know, how we can better manage our cash flow. You know, what kind of controls do we have to put in place? Like we completely redid our bookkeeping process, you know, um, really got well, really let, serious Let me ask you budgets. this before I lose a thought. Yeah. Because no, please I'm, interrupt me anytime because I'm just not going to stop. Was, was there any sort of government regulations that made your vendors want to work with you or uh, from no. my impression? No, this was no. So this is, and this is kind of just an observation that just dawned on me that kind of solidifies the theory that I have is if regulations are not needed because at the end of the day, every, you know, if you're growing a business, if you're working with other businesses, like you said, those, those people, which was kind of mind blowing. Hey, Paul, we've been there before. We, we get it. We're going to work with you because we trust you. So there was no government regulation needed to make this no. thing work itself out. There was, it was just letting businesses be businesses and do its thing. And I think if you take this little micro example and kind of expand it out to just an overall country, that's that's why I'm I'm, I'm pretty much anti-government regulation in most things because I think that things are going to work themselves out like they did in this little micro example. I mean, there there was nothing needed. There was just a phone call needed. And people experience, and I'm sure, Paul, you will now remember this going forward too, where if, oh. if you get in a similar situation and you trust, you know, the person or the company or whatever, I'm sure you'll be a little bit lenient because, hey, yeah. now you've been there. And yeah. No government regulation at all was needed for any of this to, to unfold. No, I mean, I was very fortunate in that I had fostered really good relationships with my vendors. And, you know, I'd always been a very prompt payer. You know, I didn't string people along and I did what I could to, you know, work with them uh, when, you know, nothing. They've never called me with a similar situation, but, you know, I was always very flexible and reasonable, you know. And I think that just went a long way. You build those relationships and then, you know, uh, the day will come where you need friends. <laughs> um, because like anyone who just like sits there and tells you like, ah, you know, I, you know, I did this all by myself and I didn't have, you know, people who were friendly and helping me out along the way. But at the same time, I, I built those relationships. Like, you know, I, I was a good dude to these people and they were good to me in return. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, there was no, there's no government regulation or anything like that, that, that <laughs> dictated these people had to help with me. I mean, quite honestly, they could have just been like, all right, you're cut off or all right. Uh, well, you're, we'll see you in court, you know, and, uh, and that never to a one, not even, not even a little bit. No one was even like, no one even hesitated. Everyone was just like, yep, we'll help you out. And, yeah, and it was, <laughs> it was, it was very like, it was very like, um, uh, reassuring of just like the good the inherent goodness of people um like the, the the world is full of good people and like if you're a good dude they're going to be good back to you yeah that's what i exactly from my observation i get is okay so from my understanding if you're willing to work hard and be a quality person be like a good dude mm -hmm. then 
that's all that it, it took. It didn't take the, anything else. You just worked you, hard and, and treated them with the respect. We're a good dude. It's amazing how things work out when you're willing to work hard and, and just be a quality person. Amazing. And that's the thing. And, and you can apply that to way more than just like, you know, oh, I start a business and I get myself in trouble and like I got to lean on my vendors to help me out. Like you can apply, like I've applied that throughout my entire life. Like <clears throat> I always like to tell my employees, people do business with people they like. Okay. We're not the most qualified engineering firm in, in Western Michigan. We're not the the cheapest. We're not, uh, I, I will say we're the fastest, but that's besides the point. You know, we're we're not the, the flashiest or the fanciest or have the most diplomas hanging on our wall. But I can say to a one with my employees, no one will ever have a negative experience with one of my employees on like a personal level. Like we like to work hard. We like to play hard. You know, we like to have a good time with our customers. We like to get shit done, but you know, we're, but we're, we're easy going, you know, and that's something that in my industry, there's, there's a, a real lack of, cause there's a lot of people who, you know, especially when you're, you're an engineer and you're working on the shop floor and you're dealing with, you know, hourly employees, you're dealing with people, um, you know, who are just there, you know, working, working their nine to five, you know, making their paycheck. Um, there's a lot of people who look down on those, those folks. And there's a lot of people who don't want to hear what they have to say. And at the end of the day, those are the people who will save your ass if you're really in a jam, uh, like on a project. And so, you know, people do business with people they like. And that goes all the way to the, the, the owners and the CEO's office too. You know, if you're a little tyrant and you're constantly bragging or you're constantly running your mouth, especially as a millennial, if you're constantly playing the entitlement card or playing the, you know, I, I feel I earned this card, those guys are going to look at you and write you off immediately. But if you walk in and you got a smile on your face and a joke and a story from the weekend and you're, you know, you're laid back and, and you're, you're, you know, yeah, things don't go right. Sometimes there's issues, but you're always there to fix them and you're always there and you stand behind your work. Dude, the phone just keeps ringing. Yeah. Yeah. And I got, I'll do a little mini soapbox here because you, you, you push the button where if you're work if you're talking with an hourly employee who's just, I mean, you can't sit there and be like, well, technically I make more than you. Technically I have this fancy piece of paper. So shut your mouth because I know it all. Like you oh can't go about yeah. life like that. And I had, it still just irritates me. And I, I wish I had more of a backbone back in the day, but I, don't, I was just straight out of school. But um, for you listeners, I was uh, an, an engineer out of school um, and I worked uh, for Honeywell um, and just worked in a big factory. And there is, you know, I was in, as a process engineer, I had to put together processes, make sure things don't break down. And there is a new machine. We got to get the machine qualified. We called it. Make sure it you acts interacted the way it's with a lot to act. of shop floor people. And I interact with. And I still remember um, a, a, another, you know, engineer a little bit older than I was. Like, hey man, you got. You're the. We're the engineers. We got to tell oh them how it's going to be. We got to tell them how it's going to work. And I was just. And like I said, I regret the backbone. Yeah. But I was just thinking, what are you? How how ignorant, how arrogant would I have to be to go out and tell this shop guy that's been literally here for like 35 years, yeah. this is how it is, this is how it's supposed to be, this is how it will work best. And the, I got a little grief for like, dare I say, listening to some feedback. Now, did I take every bit of feedback when I put together the, no, yeah. I didn't. I mean, there were some things that all right, you maybe- You can't they, take all the feedback because then, right. then, then then it's going to be, they're sitting there with a joystick running a robot watching Netflix. <laughs> right. right. But, but I mean, to, to, to think, to your point, you can't go into you know, just life thinking that because you are in position A or have item A, that you are automatically superior to something else. I mean, you just- you, so I guess I, I think, and I'm not paying my, I think that's why I was probably more popular out on the shop floor among some of the, the oh, machine yeah. operators. Cause sure I was some young kid, but at least they, 
you know, knew that, I, you know, hey, well, at least Clay will at least listen to us and give us his ear rather than try to cram some sort of work procedure down our, our, our throat. So, I mean, I fully agree is, is what I'm getting at there, but I, I really can't stand when, I don't know. That's the one thing I don't like about engineers is sometimes us folks, you know, think we're a little bit smarter than what we actually are. Yeah. And it's, you know, engineers, don't get me wrong. We, we put in our time. It, it's not a, a cakewalk degree, but I mean, you can't show up first day thinking that, uh, you know more than what you probably actually do because now it's actually the real world and not you know textbook filled filled with you know bolded definitions of words and stuff like that. So um, but yeah, yeah. And I mean, my soapbox and, is away. And and you know you can circle this all the way back to where we started our conversation tonight, which is with the the Tesla. Uh, you know, there was just a lot of people at that company that were unwilling to listen to guys who, you know, they weren't necessarily talking to shop floor guys, but even talking to other engineers who didn't go to Stanford and didn't go to MIT. But, you know, yeah, they they went to, you know, Michigan Tech or Kettering. And it's like, I've been building cars for the last 30 years. And I, I'm telling you, this is a terrible idea. And they're like, nope, you're an idiot. You've never left the state of Michigan. You're a moron. What do you know about building a car? And, you know, so they're, they're just humility. Just be yes. humble. Yeah, good. Just yep. be just be humble in business. Just be humble in life. And it goes back to again to our, our thirty thirty thousand uh, dollar millionaire on Instagram. Got to be humble. Play, be humble. You know, it it, it, it it takes you so far in life, and people are going to be so much more willing to work with you, to be around you, to be friends with you, to help you out. But if you're just an arrogant arrogant dude or an arrogant gal just walking through the freaking you know tulip patch. You know, when you fail, people are going to rejoice. People are going to be so excited <laughs> so to see true. you eat a big yes. bag. Of- <laughs> that is that is true. You want people to come to your rescue, not to laugh at you. I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's a fair point. That's 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 exactly you know how it pretty much unfolds. Well, it's it's I, this has gone on a long time. Um, I don't know. Do you think this was a pretty decent success? I mean, we talked about yeah. a lot. Do would you, you come back and do this again? I, I would. Do you want, uh, I, we didn't even, your initial question about uh, my, I think, my recent I think, purchase, I think is maybe, I'll talk I about it we'll now, but we can talk for, about another, another I think episode. We, I think we save it for another time when, you, when you're back. Uh, because sure. at this point, um, I, I was thinking about that. I'm like, the irony of all this is the question I asked him like an hour and a half ago still hasn't been answered. <laughs> but if you want to hear that, um, we'll, br- we'll bring back Paul. And, uh, well, uh, I, and you I do want to do a see, video. Go ahead. You should probably gauge the uh, the reaction of your fan base and make sure people are like, what a <laughs> what a blowhard, what a douche. So you know, like, I, let's make let's make sure I that honestly, people actually want me back. I've always told people this whole personal finance, what I'm doing with this, this has always been a, a passion project of mine. It's just, I, I want to give, I really don't care if, if somebody, anybody that disagrees with you, well, first off, they're not even listening anymore. Uh, they yeah. turned us off a long time ago. <laughs> so I'm assuming, but I really don't care because this is pretty much how it works. Like if, if you have a problem with the moral of the story being be a quality person, be humble, work hard, then I'm sorry. We're just going to have to agree to disagree on how we view life because that's yeah. pretty much what Paul and I are saying at the end of the day, if you want to get ahead, work hard, be humble and just be a good dude then yeah. or do that. Then exactly. yeah, I, I guess I really don't care what people think if they are going to disagree with that because uh, if they are, then whatever yeah. it is what it is. But um, 
Yeah, I guess I really don't know how to end one of these because I've never done it before. But I guess I'll, I'll just thank. I, I, do you want to give any plugs like for your company or anything like sure. that? Sure. Yeah. What shameless self promotion? Yeah. I mean, well, I, it's the, the you, part you, of the you earned the, it. I mean, you just gave me a, a couple hours of your time, so by all means, <laughs> plug away. Well, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be the the, the salesman extraordinaire that because that's that's actually the funny part. Like, I don't even do engineering work anymore. Like, I I strictly do sales and marketing for my. See, companies. that's a whole other. T- I mean, that's. Pulling oh, yourself could, out of the business to work on. I mean, but we we can't go there. It's getting. We should, it's getting I, I Clay, I would happily come back on here and talk and and bull bull, bull around with you uh, about anything. And I think I've got some very exciting stuff coming up in the three D printing business that I think uh, I could definitely come back and talk about. But yeah, if you want to talk sales and marketing or anything like that, I would love to talk. But um, at the end of the day. Um, you know, uh, we got uh, DeWise Engineering. That's uh, D-E-W-Y-S-E-N-G.com, DeWiseEng.com. You can see some of the really cool stuff that we work on uh, posted on there. And then uh, Forerunner3DPrinting.com. Um, and so that's, uh, um, wow, I'm even blanking. F-O-R-E-R-U-N-N-E-R-3D.com. See, terrible at spelling, terrible at math. We got you covered barely, because can, here, watch this shameless self-promotion. If you want all these links and if you want his social media and whatever else Paul wants to give us, go to moneywithclay.com yeah. slash podcast and find <laughs> this, the show notes page, and we will have all these links for you so that you can look this stuff up so you don't have to worry uh, about, wait, well, how does it spelled? Well, you can find it at moneywithclay.com. So there yeah. we go. See, it's yeah. the circ- See how businesses feed off one another? Exactly. Now each promotion, I mean- See the, what what we're talking. It's truth. It's it's the it's a reality thing. But um, yeah, we're, I'm going to have you back regardless of. I don't care if there's no. I don't care if this thing gets one download and it's my parents <laughs> it's be, or, some, it's or Nate. Be, yeah. It'll probably be Nate. It'll be I, Nate. I, we're going to come back because I had a good time ranting and raving. And well, um, and, and you got to come out. You, you you know we got it Nate. He's he's sub he's subleasing some office space <laughs> yeah, here for true. I believe zero dollars a month. I was going to um, say I owe you lunch at least. So I no, mean. but you guys you guys come out with your your camera gear uh, in mid September. We're going to have some pretty cool stuff uh, going on around here with the 3D printing business. I'd love to have you guys come through. We can shoot. A, a video. I, I was going to say, I, I would like to do a video at some point. I'm thinking it might be for the Clay Trader vlog, though, just because okay. that one's got more traction and more traffic. So we might start there and then try to maybe drive traffic over, uh, you know, to, to money with Clay. But um, absolutely, I don't. But yeah, I, I fully I wanted to, to talk with you about that and just say, hey, well, I kind of already talked to Nate. And it's not, his guess would be you would be all for it. And his, oh, yeah. his hunch was correct. But the, yeah, I'd like to get the, the camera stuff over there and um just kind of do a, a tour. If it sounds like you got cool stuff going on soon, so I um, got I got interesting stuff. I have I have like odd things, and and uh, you know I can I can at least uh, give you guys a peek inside of a, a business that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with. And uh, you know I that's one of my favorite things is I, I I'm a big podcast guy, and um, some of my favorite podcasts are where you get into these really odd topics and weird businesses, and you get to kind of see an inside look. So I would be th- th- thrilled to uh to show you clay around and and then let your audience uh kind of participate through some videos so no man i i appreciate the opportunity to talk with you you know we've we had a lot of fun down in florida uh beginning of this year in the uh in the hot in the uh, in the hot tub um and so when Nate i will told say me that- though my one thing with paul that did drive me nuts is <laughs> the dude 
on vacation is still working with his laptop. I mean, don't get me wrong. I checking emails and doing stuff, but we all had to make a conscious effort to be like, Paul, dude, you're supposed to be on vacation right now. And uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, like I said, it's, you got to You got to grind as a, you know, I got a long, I got a long ways to go, man. I got a long ways to go before, you know, I'm one of those 55 year old guys just, you know, killing it and, uh, you know, and kind of just dicking around. So yeah, you know, it, it is what it is and, and it's the life I've chosen and I'm very happy with it. And I, and, and again, I will say this, um, anyone who's made it to an hour and 59 into this podcast, um, Paul at DeWiseENG.com. Uh, feel free to email me, man. Like, I love to talk to people who are sorting things out. So, you know, if you're a, a young, especially, I'll talk to anyone, but especially if you're college age listening to this and, you know, you're in engineering or you're you're curious about entrepreneurship, I love to talk to people. You know, I don't have all the answers and I'm not, you know, going to ever tell you that I do, but I'm always willing to offer my opinion, <laughs> obviously. So, yeah, Paul at DeWiseENG.com and uh, I'd love the opportunity to, to chat with anyone. And let's keep let's keep that out of the uh, the show notes. This yeah, is a very special that, late yeah. late show late show bonus for anyone who listened all the way through this two hours. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, spell Dwise real quick. Do the email once more and spell it all out for because I agree that that's a good. I mean, this is straight up bonus for the hardcore people that yes. are clearly fully on board with you and I if they're still listening. So spell it Absolutely. out so they can uh, so definitely it's, email uh, you. It's a uh, P A U L P A U L. So it's Paul at Dewise, D-E-W-Y-S-E-N-G.com. So that's Paul at DeWiseENG.com. And if you just Google, uh, or if you Google Forerunner 3D printing, um, that'll pop up. Uh, we're like top of the results for Forerunner 3D printing as well. That's a little easier to figure out the spelling on. So, but no, Clay, thank you so much, man. This is a heck of a good time. I, I, yeah, and be honest. I, I would love to do this? it again. Okay, all right, because I'm, 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 I'd like to get more guests on, but I'm like, well, I mean, if it's not fun for people, then, but I felt like you had fun. I know I had fun. Oh, and you so. kidding me? I had a great time. And I hope you as viewers had a great time too. Again, like I started off at the beginning, I'm all for feedback. If you enjoyed this format, if you enjoyed Paul as a guest, then let me know whether that's through email, through the site, through the comments, whatever. Just let me know. I'm all about you know, building this and tailoring this podcast to what you as listeners want to hear and just getting your thoughts on formats and how we have things structured. So thank you again, Paul, and thank you again, listeners. We'll see you back in the next episode. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I want to just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating. That goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there and I, I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself either in debt or just feeling like your, your personal finances are kind of out of control or could be much more efficient, then I would encourage you to go to moneywithclay.com and check out the slab money method. That is the course that I put together as a former process engineer that outlined every single step, step by step by step with documentation, with forms to fill out, that'll put you on the path, the exact path I used to pay off $163,000 of debt and get myself to the point where not only am I debt free, but I am now able to build wealth and build wealth in an efficient uh, manner. So if you're curious and interested in that, again, moneywithclay.com and that is the slab money method. And no, this is not all some massive sales pitch when I say that it works, it truly does. And I back that up with more than words. My action behind those words is that course comes with a one year money back guarantee. 
So if you try it out and you're not making any progress, you're not seeing any progress, then I will refund you the cost of the course, which is very minimal to begin with. And then finally, make sure to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look up for Money With Clay and you will see us there. Again, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you back next episode.